Okay, everybody, welcome to episode number 49 of Sports Cards Live. I'm so excited for this episode. It's been a, a long time in the making. Before we get on with it, I do want to thank last Saturday's guest, Eric Norton of Beckett Live Presents. We talked about a bunch of things, but the highlight might have been how challenging it is to, uh, to price all the cards and be a price guide analyst, among many other topics. And then on After Hours, I had with me Amit Acharya, a good friend of mine, and uh, among many topics, uh, and that, that episode really got going in the second half, but we had a great discussion about rookie cards and really what constitutes a rookie cards. Are the, are the, are the definitions of a rookie card, um, are they starting to fade? Is the hobby moving on with, with a new sort of definition? Um, and that sort of thing. Really interesting discussion. Also want to thank last Wednesday's guest, Adam, the Real 27 guy. Um, he has started to issue a new basketball card magazine called Basketball Card Fanatic, available by email. Here it is. I printed off my copy and uh, a really nice uh, magazine with lots of good articles. I recommend you checking that out. You can ping him on Instagram at the real 27 guy. Later tonight, Colin Murray will be joining me for after hours. This coming Wednesday on Sports Cards Live, my guest will be Jordan Hagedorn. Uh, Jordan Hagedorn has a podcast called For the Hobby. He's an NFL agent and a Brett Favre super collector, so that should be pretty awesome. That will also be episode number 50 of Sports Cards Live, so looking forward to that one. And then next Saturday, one of my favorite YouTube shows, uh, Jake Roy of 90s B-Ball Cards will be joining me, so that'll be a lot of fun. A couple quick announcements, guys. Um Sports Cards Live, all the old episodes, every episode in, in the library is now available on podcast. And I do want to thank tonight's guest, John Newman, for pointing me in the direction of Anchor.fm. And uh, it's pretty awesome. They've all been uploaded. It took me a couple days, but they're all there now. They'll be on Apple within a couple weeks, but it's on Spotify and a whole bunch of other podcasting platforms. So if you want to check those out, you can now do that. Also want to let everybody know, I've changed my Instagram handle to tie into the show. It used to be at Lee underscore cards. It's now at Lee underscore sports cards live. Just wanted to get that cross branding happening. Um, so I'm going to be showing on after hours tonight, some cool show and tell items, uh, some cards, as well as a couple of other historical or hobby historical items that I've picked up recently. So you might want to check that out tonight at the end of the episode, I will be showing my card of the day or maybe cards of the day, which will tie into my guest tonight, John Newman. I want to thank all the subscribers we have so far. Everybody watching, thank you so much for helping keep the show going. I am still loving doing this. It's a ton of fun meeting a ton of great people and lots of great viewers. So thank you all. Thank you for your interactions and look for, looking forward to your questions and comments tonight as usual. If you are new to the show, I want to thank John for, uh, for kind of advertising who's going to be on and attracting some more viewers to the show. So thank you to you guys for coming by. If you haven't yet subscribed to Sports Cards Live on YouTube, please go ahead and do that. Hit the thumbs up button, leave a comment, all those things that help the algorithm and whatever that ends up meaning it means. I don't even really know. Um, okay, let's get to tonight's guest. I see we have lots, lots of comments coming in already. We'll get to those shortly. So tonight's guest and I, we actually have a few things in common. Um, we both started in the hobby kind of in 1979 at seven years old. Puts us at, at the same age. This guy, John, he pulled he pulled his favorite player, Reggie Jackson, in his first pack of cards with his grandfather. He started his hobby career at 15 years old at Rudy's Card Shop, went on to open up his own store in 1992, had the store for four years, 
He moved his side hustle to online and card shows after that. He was inspired by Eric Norton of Beckett Live Presents and encouraged by his son to share his knowledge and experience in podcast format. And in November 2018, Sports Card Nation was born. He's prospected in baseball. He loves his football. He's a diehard New York Rangers fan. Originally from Brooklyn, New York, now hailing from Syracuse. Let's bring him out. Lifelong hobbyist and good guy, John Newman. John, welcome to episode 49 of Sports Cards Live. How are you doing tonight, my friend? Good. Wow, what an intro, man. I I, I don't know what I owe you for that, but I'll, I'll have my checkbook uh, filled out here shortly. And, you, you know, it's great. You had Eric on last Saturday. I know Eric very well. I roomed with him. Uh, at the last Toronto Expo that actually uh, took place uh, in person. And uh, that's a tough act to follow, but uh, I'll do my best. Awesome, man. Well, you don't you don't owe me anything, but, you know, I'll send you my address if you want to send a check my way. I, I'll, I'll open up a U.S. dollar account. We'll be just fine. We'll be just fine. <laughs> All right, man. Listen, let's jump right into it. So, you are a guy who sells cards. That's what you do. It's kind of it's, it's your thing. You've been doing it for a long time. We're in a crazy time right now uh, with a pandemic. You know, in, in the middle of March, we started to get an understanding of what was about to happen to the world and how that might impact our hobby. None of us knew how it would. I want to know when you started to, to get the feeling that things were going to, something, something was happening, something was going to change. How did you brace for the pandemic at that time? What did you do to set yourself up or what did you think was going to happen? Well, what I thought was going to happen, Jeremy, is sales slow down, people uh, not knowing how long they would be out of work, uh, people not knowing how unemployment would work being out of work. And so I thought cards, memorabilia would sort of be uh, an afterthought or on the back burner for, for those uh, that were worried. I, I think everyone was worried. I mean, whether you own your own business uh, even if you're not an employee of someone else and you own your own business, you you know, with, with, with quarantines, people are not out and about and, and traveling and, and you know, uh, uh, you know, stimulating the economy. And so I think everybody initially was, uh, you know, whether it's sports cards or not sports card, kind of bracing for a decline uh, as far as sales and and economy goes and uh, as you already know and, and everyone else probably listening uh that's the exact opposite uh happened and uh i'm i'm the surprise is probably a lot of people and you know anyone that says they knew ex this was exactly going to happen I'm, I'm gonna i'll say it I, I really don't believe that i mean they might not have been as uh bracing for impact as as i was let's say but uh i mean i don't think anyone could see 2020 being probably one of the the biggest hobby years uh, period, forget pandemic or no pandemic. Yeah, no, I hear you, man. I remember back in the middle of March, I had recently, you know, you knew something was about to happen. I thought, oh my gosh, people are going to start selling cards. They're going to be scrambling for cash. And I, you know, I, in the earlier in the year, I picked up a few cards, put some money into some cards. And I, and I started thinking to myself, uh-oh, there's going to be a scramble to sell now. Am, am I going to get stuff out there in time? Am I, am, and do I want to sell? You know, maybe sell now and buy back later. Well, boy, am I glad that I was kind of too lazy to sell anything and uh, held on to most. So like yourself, pleasantly surprised with how things went versus, you know, the poop hitting the fan sort of thing. So 
Yeah. Interesting times we're in. Why don't you let us know a little bit about kind of what, what your approach is within the hobby? What do you do specifically in the hobby, John? I'm heavy baseball, football. Uh, I do some hockey, uh, not as much as I, I probably should. Basketball uh, definitely is up there. I've, I've gotten sort of more uh, in the basketball the last few years, probably because, let's be real, um, it's it's really picked up uh, in the last few years, uh, especially love grading. Uh, you know, we could go into that later on too, but uh, I did a, a 180 from my original opinion when grading first hit the scene many moons ago to where I am now, which is, it's a big part of, of what I do, uh, submitting, selling, acquiring uh, stuff with grading uh, at the forefront uh, of my mind. And, uh, you know, like I, I know I, I'm talking to you off the air, you know, uh, whether someone likes grading or doesn't like grading, um, even, even those that don't like it know that what a big part of the hobby it, it honestly is. Now, now, they may not buy any or submit any, but to 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 ignore the fact that it's a huge part of the industry would, would, would be disingenuous. For sure. And we will talk more about uh, grading later. I do want to uh, kind of, you know, pl- uh, pick your brain for some some of that grading experience and help the viewers understand maybe a few of the the ins and outs, do's and don'ts, some of the sort of insights you've you've gleaned over over the years in terms of your grading experience. That's awesome, man. I want to, but before we get into grading, I do want to talk, I want to, you know, state of the hobby is such an, an interesting topic right now. We've got a few sort of subtopics I want to touch on. We're going to get to that first. Let's say hi to the viewers we have, see who's out there. We've got Legion in the house. Legion, welcome to the show. As always, Dave Jones, I'm ready too, man. Ready for a great episode tonight. Thanks for joining us. Ernie Rondo, welcome to you as always. Charles, great to have you. Charles is a young guy who does, he's like a 15-year-old uh, vintage hockey collector, a real, there you real, go. real guy who represents the future of the hobby. Paul Cashman, welcome and good evening to you. Yamwax, as always, welcome to you. Vic Prod, can you give tips of new people that wants to collect basketball cards, please? Keep watching. We might get into a bit of that, uh, Vic, and thank you for joining. Bobby Burrell says, and don't forget to stamp that like button. Yeah, please do. Please do. Thank you, Bobby. Charles, anyone who is new, welcome to the greatest hobby show. Thank you, Charles. SCA Sports Cards, great to have John on the show, one of my favorite YouTubers. There you go. And let me just switch up the the ticker right now. Guys, right there on the bottom, John's YouTube shows include Hobby Hotline and Roughing the Passer. I do believe Roughing the Passer airs on the Hobby Hotline channel. Is that right, John? Uh, No, usually uh, it's either mine or Drew uh, Herndon, who's going to be, I see, coming up on your show. A little shameless plug there um, uh, on his stream yard. Okay. I think it's under the Hobby Roundup, which is sort of his social media. Uh, okay. Account. So if you guys, if you if you want to find John uh, and Drew, for that matter, on YouTube, I recommend you just type in Hobby Hotline. You'll find their channel. Subscribe. They do a Saturday morning uh, panel discussion with live call-ins. It's awesome. I watched it this morning. Um, I called in last week. It's a fun show. Paul Cashman says 2-1 Tampa Bay. Is that still current? I'd love to know. I can't believe I'm missing the, the lot. What could be the last period of hockey this season? But uh, anyway, we'll 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 do it. We got we got to keep on the schedule here. 
Rich Klein, who is on Hobby Hotline as well, and a previous guest of Sports Cards Live, says, I just want to see if John can take Sports Cards Live off the air that he did this morning on Hobby Hotline. We'll get to that. Uh, I'm pleading innocent. I didn't touch. My hands were right here, Rich. I'm just telling you. I don't know what happened there. In case you're wondering what we're talking about, this morning on Hobby Hotline, the show went, it just went dark all of a sudden, and no one knows what happened, but they got it back. They recovered nicely, and it was a great episode. I watched it and really enjoyed it. Uh, Dustin, the personal finance dad. Good evening to you guys. Dustin has a YouTube channel, the personal finance dad. It's a sports card channel more than it's a personal finance channel, but check that out. Card killer in the house. Welcome to you. Thank you for joining Jeff McMahon. Hello to you. Colin Murray, who will be says hi there. He's also known as sloth 55 and he will be joining me on after hours tonight. Ralphie in the house. Say word to Big Bird. 3B collection. What's up, John? How welcome to the show, 3B. And Paul Cashman likes to call Rich Klein the loquacious Rich Klein. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you everybody for joining. We're gonna get into some state of the hobby stuff right now, but I want to start because you know, John and I we did chat yesterday and we had a good discussion, and he kind of you know, he enlightened me into some of his his experience and his observations that he's had over the over the course of his of his uh, experience in the hobby. And one thing we were chatting about was just how much things have changed between how hobbyists approach modern day players today versus how hobbyists approached modern day players, you know, as recently as, you know, I don't know, maybe the last decade, but especially in the, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, even the 90s. And what I'm talking about is you know, how back then a player had to prove himself. Nowadays, a player is has, it seems like the hobby considers that the player has proved himself with one game. John, can you speak to that and how, you know, how that has, has evolved over the years? It's, it's, it's amazing where we are, you know, it's like day trading, you know, it's like a stock just to has to have one good night and everyone's buying in, you know, uh, you know, like you said in the intro, we both started at around 1979, and obviously, uh, in our teenage years, in the early 90s, late 80s. You know, even if I don't care what sport it was, if uh, you know a player scored two goals or hit two home runs or scored two touchdowns, people took notice. But they're like, I want to see that tomorrow, or in football, I want to see that next week again before they really put their eggs in that basket. And, but where we are now with the hobby is anyone, any athlete does that in their, their respective sport one night, like you said, and it's a mad dash. It's, it's a mad dash on both ends. It's a mad dash for buyers to get to these selling platforms, the comp C's, the star stocks, the sport lots, and even the sellers to get there and kind of bump the prices up uh, or pull them off even and not sell them right away. Or, or and and then list them higher, and uh, you know we we can talk. It, you see what's happened on eBay with that stuff is a a seller will you know they didn't get there in time, and someone goes and buys it now at, at a lower price than what the market now is bringing, and then the seller says he can't find the card, or it's, after looking at it, it's damaged, and uh, obviously he could be telling the truth, but in reality, you know definitely. Uh, sort of suspicious, and it's become uh, day trading. I, you know, a lot of people like to to blame like some of the new influx of of hobbyists uh, in the hobby. Uh, I'm sure that's a factor, no doubt. Uh, to say otherwise, so again, is probably not being uh, truthful. But I, I don't even think it's just 
that niche. I think it's just in, in general, you know, uh, with the pandemic, I think, you, you know, you, going back to the pandemic, Jeremy, you got more people at home to jump on, uh, you know, eBay and the comp C's during work hours, let's say, when normally maybe they'd be at work and get, get in trouble, let's say, if they were caught uh, doing that. And so I think all the ingredients are there for the day trading aspect to really uh, take a foothold now uh, compared to years uh, before. And it's, it's, it's a phenomenon, for quite frankly. That's the word that just comes to, to mind is, you know, uh, you know, you look at a perfect example of the, this phenomenon, as I just uh, coined it, is Bo Bo from, uh, you know, the NBA. He had a, a crazy great scrimmage game, uh, a meaningless game, no offense to, to him, but it's just a practice game. And, you know, he played very well, uh, you know, credit to credit to Bobo. And then people just went nuts, raising prices, buying them at the higher levels. And then the regular season games that counted uh, resumed. And that didn't translate into those games. And, you know, uh, and that's, you know, again, you, you got that 180-day cancellation policy. Uh, people, I know a lot of people like reverse transactions, said the card wasn't as described. I mean, it's just, uh, I can go off on that policy. I won't, but uh, I think you get the gist of where I feel about that. Um, and it's just uh, it's just crazy, you know, as, as the old man in the porch as I am, coming from the old days uh, to see where we are uh, today. Yeah, you mentioned the Bull Bowl, and you know the most recent one would be Tyler Hero on the, of the Miami Heat, who had that thirty-seven point game. You know, the the youngest player off the bench to score that many points at the age of twenty, something like that. Pretty impressive, um, and all of a sudden his cards have taken off, which is you know it, it's normal for today's market. And but I, the 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 one thing I wonder about him is you know he was he was a big prospect, a very confident young man. He's a great shooter. Um, I wonder if he is the real deal, if he will have a great career, you know, of course, barring uh, any career ending injuries and that kind of thing. Is, is he poised to have a great career and will the, val the value of his cards as they stand today, will that hold up and will that value still be there down the road? I, I don't think we can answer that. It's more of a rhetorical question, but it's an interesting uh, thought uh, experiment to go down, you know, similar to the bowl bowl thing and just really wondering if these can sustain. But you mentioned one thing that, that, that I thought is very true and that a lot of people have a lot more time right now on their hands and more money, of course, because you're not traveling, you're not going out to the pub and having drinks and watching sporting events, and you're certainly not gambling. So interest, interesting stuff there. But as far as day trading, John, like it, we, we know it's happening. We know there's a lot of people who are out there trying to capitalize quickly. What I want to, what I want to hear your opinion on is, is it good or bad or a bit of both for the hobby? I think it's a double-edged sword. I mean, I think it's good because, you know, any, any time, any business, if you're having transactions take place, that's a that's a good thing. That means there's there's money flowing in uh, to the business, uh, uh, you know, to the hobby, to the industry. Um, I think it's bad because it probably turns certain people off that don't like that or sort of, you know, I'm old school, but I'm also adapt to my environment. And, and so it doesn't really bother me. Maybe in the same vein, it might bother someone else who doesn't really want to adapt uh, as much as I, I don't mind. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, that's another issue is we got a lot of 
with the, with new folks coming in. Some of the, the people that have been here already are not really welcoming. Uh, but uh, I think it's good and bad. I guess it depends on, on the person. But uh, I'm a firm believer if, if, if transactions are happening, sales and, bu and buys and sales are going uh, going down, that's a, that's a good thing. I think we, we have to worry when there's less transactions taking place. Uh, yeah, then that, that's that's uh, uh, thoughts for concern there. That that, ma that makes a lot of sense. I like what you said. Is that you know this is happening? I'm in the hobby. I've been in the hobby for 40 years, type of thing. I'm going to adapt to whatever is happening, and I, I love that, John, because that's exactly my position as well. Um, and you also mentioned a lot of the old school, a lot of the old guard may not be as welcoming to some of these. Uh, new entrance into the hobby. There's, I still consider them hobbyists. They, they might be fleeting, yeah. but they're still hobbyists for, for the time that they're here. And uh, and the fact that they're in here day trading, you know, at least we know what's happening. We can see it and we can adapt accordingly, decide to partake in it or not. You know, you don't have to change your approach, your collecting approach, but maybe you tweak it a little, a little bit to uh, maybe, maybe let them let them get through their their cycles of trading before you're going to pick up that player because, you know, prices get run up and that sort of thing. So who knows? But I, I, I like that. And I also think that as hobby veterans, people who've been in the hobby as long as you have, as long as I have, and guys that have been in it even longer than us or shorter for that matter, you know, let's not chase away anybody new because even though you've got, say, thousands of new people in the hobby right now because of some of the reach of influencers like you know the one everyone likes to talk about being gary v among others some of these people i think will end up being collectors they will see these cards they'll they'll receive them in hand and they'll just like you and i did back in 1979 1980 they'll fall in love with them too not all of them but some of them it's a numbers game just like anything so some yeah. of these guys will remain in the hobby and i think there's some excitement to that uh, I want to say hello to Carlos, everybody. Carlos has a YouTube channel because I'm Carlos, one of the most logical and well-thought-out uh, YouTube shows out there when it comes to sports cards, so check that out. And Joe, I see your question. We will get to it shortly. So, John, day trading's interesting. There's something else that's new going on in the hobby, really new, and I heard you talking about it a little bit already today. Something I want to chat about, too, and that is the, the, the new... Uh, the new way to invest in sport and truly invest in them. This isn't collecting. I don't think this is investing in sports cards and it's this fractional ownership program and, and uh, method that has been dreamt up. It's been um, rolled out. Now we've seen it with rally road. Uh, we've seen it with the collectible app um, who, and the CEO of whom is going to be on the show with me in the next couple of weeks. And we've also seen it with the the, the, the individual, uh, Lior Avidar, who purchased the LeBron James RPA from Ken Golden's auctions, as well as the Giannis uh, Logo Man, the one-on-one. He's, he's acquired both these cards, and it looks like his purpose of acquiring these cards was to sell fractional ownership shares in them. Can you explain to the audience what this is? And also, this is going to be a double-barreled question, which I, I don't like to do, but I'm going to do it now. Um, explain it, please, John, but also uh, talk about, if you will, um, if you think it's good for the hobby or, or bad. Well, I think, uh, well, let me explain it first. I'll answer the question in the order uh, you asked it. So uh, these companies, now some of them, Rally Road, uh, will do other things besides cards, cars, watches, purses, high-end high stuff uh, of those uh, industries. 
Um, collectible is focusing just on the cards, and all will be uh, that same milk as well, just cards. And but premises, hey, a fifth, for example, uh, with with collectible, they just launched their for a fifty-three tops mantle PSA ten. Now that's not going to be able. I, only speaking for myself here. Uh, sure, I'd love to own one, but I'm I'm not going to be able to afford to buy it. And so what they do is is an owner. In this case, it's actually uh, Evan Mathis, a uh, former uh, uh, Colts lineman who's now uh, cards, and we, you know he's got some issues that have been brought up. But it's his card, and uh, you know they they sell basically shares. They sell uh, there's a limit how many shares at how much in, in the initial offering like a stock IPO. Um, and then when it closed, it's closed. And then, uh, you know, depending on each platform, I believe uh, Rally Road is 90 days. They, uh, I think collectible might be similar, if not exact the same. Uh, then it can be sold. And, you know, depending on what it, it does go for, um, you know, you, you, you will get either more money than you first invested uh, or if, if it doesn't, they can also sell just shares. In other words, people who didn't get in in the original offering can say, hey, I want to, I want in. And so now, you know, you might have bought shares at $10 a piece, for example, just using round numbers. And now that they're, you know, the market says we can sell these for 20 if you want any. And so those who bought it at 10 have a choice. I can just keep them or I can just you know, people want to buy in at 20, I'm going to sell my hundred shares at 20 bucks a piece and double, double my money. And that's, you know, could be more than that. I'm just using round numbers. And, and, and your second question, is it good or bad? Um, I guess it depends if, you know, there's people, you know, this Jeremy, you've done this a long time. There's people who don't believe that the hobby is an investment and they'll argue, to the the death of themselves and and so i think to those folks they're just they think it's just as a sham and it's uh you know uh, witch doctoring and to those who probably like us sort of kind of adapt and, and where the hobby goes we kind of flow with it uh i'm not opposed to it, it it'd be interesting to see if it takes off if it lasts you know i said that about grading uh, you know, almost 30 years ago, and uh, we know the answer to that question now. And so that's the interesting thing with these fractional share companies. Is this going to be something that not only lasts but even gets bigger, or is it just going to be they don't do well enough and then it becomes a thing? Oh, remember in 2020 when those three companies launched uh, and that didn't go so hot? And uh, truth be told, I've I've you know, probably got about $125 combined in the in the uh, rally and collectible. Just and I'm not where I'm thinking like I'm going to retire. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm not on that level. But just just a dabble in it. We're doing the podcast. It's a lot. You know, you know this as well as me too, Jim. It's a lot. You can talk about it more when you're you're actually involved in it and seeing how it's going than to just say, I think this or I think that. And so I kind of did it uh, almost just with the show. And it's, you know, interesting. And let's be real. Uh, I'm never going to probably own a 1953 Topps Mickey Mantle PSA 10. And it, I can brag to my friends that I'm a minority owner in that car. Right. So 
So really, it, it's a it's a it's an easy it's an easy or a, a a more affordable way to own a piece of a of an iconic card like that. It's kind of neat because that particular card I I held it in my hand a couple of years ago at the National at Evan Mathis's table along with his PSA nine 1952 tops mantle. As I have a picture I could go digging for, but I, I'm holding them both in my hands because. Oh wow, you know that's basically three million, four million dollars in your hands right there. I thought that was pretty cool, but um, so you know, basically it gives us as a, as you know, sort of common folk the ability to own a share in this card. Uh, I'm wondering when when the group is going to end up selling the card and cash out for money. Does it go? To, do you know this? Does it go to a vote? Do all the shareholders get a vote based on how many shares they own? And then, if there's a certain amount of of yes votes, will they then accept the offer uh, or put it out to auction or something like that? How does it work upon ultimately disposing of the card yeah. by the group? Yeah, I don't know. You know, when Brian Gray this morning on Hobby Hotline brought that up, it's a great question. I'm I'm not gonna lie about it. I'm really not sure. And I probably, have, you know, I know that sounds, well, John, you put money in this thing. And you don't know the answer to the question. The amount I put in, I mean, not that you want to lose anything, but I mean, if I was in, in for thousands of bucks, I'm sure I'd probably uh, know a little bit more. I'm, I, you know, I don't yeah. even know, you know, they might be kind of navigating as they go to, uh, you know, how they're going to do it. I think, I think the initial, uh, what they want to do is make it at a level where almost you can't lose, you know, a kind of a, a ground level where worst case scenario, everyone would get their money back, so to speak. Uh, you're not going to lose anything. It's just the time that you're involved in it. Uh, I, and that's probably uh, reasonable to, to say would probably happen. Uh, you know, I know uh, uh, the, the Rice rookie uh, PSA 10 that I invested in was like five bucks a share. Um, so, you know, very cheap. It came in by, a, a, you know, Topps Big League almost back goes for more right. than that. And uh, the manholes were, were $10 a share. And so, you know, obviously, and they limit, you know, there was a limit to how many shares uh, you could purchase as well. Uh, I, I, you know, yeah, go ahead. I was gonna, uh, sorry, I was just saying that, that makes sense because they want to get as many people involved as they can. They don't want to, you know, four clients buy up the whole thing. And now there's, you know, they're they're shutting out hundreds of other potential clients who want to get a taste so that they will then buy into the next offering as well. Right. And I think I'll mention on October 7th, I have Ezra Levine joining me on the show. He's the CEO of Collectible, the, the company you just mentioned that is only doing sports cards as far as fractional ownership going versus Rally Road, who does sports cars and and Merkin purses or Birkin or whatever they're called, and, and a bunch of other highly collectible items. So Ezra will be joining me and we'll get all the answers to kind of the ins and outs of fractional ownership as far as sports cards goes um, on that night. What's neat is, is, you know, just if you think about it, any stock that you own is fractional ownership. Any timeshare that you own is fractional ownership. Land syndication is fractional ownership. It's not It's not a new concept in the sports card industry. It's been around for a long time in terms of investments go. And now it's finally being applied to sports cards. And truth be told, it's happened before this too. You, I mean, I don't, I don't have evidence of it, but I'm certain. Well, actually it happened. It happened in the early nineties when Wayne Gretzky and Bruce McNall each purchased a 50% fractional ownership in the yep. Wagner card. So, Buying cards in a group 
is all this is, but this is formalized and it's being regulated by the SEC. These companies are all regulated by the SEC in the United States. So that's pretty cool. I'm in Canada, as you know, I'd love to be able to buy in. I would, I would do it. I know a lot of people wouldn't. And you, you talked about, you know, a lot of the old guard who say collecting is just a hobby or, or you know, it's not an investment. It's just a hobby. Um, but, you know, I say those are, those might be some, and no offense to those guys because they're the, they're, they're, they've been in the hobby so long, but I, they might still have flip phones, right? If you have to adapt <laughs> to new things, right? If, if you want to stay on top of things, you want to stay current. I think it's great to adapt because the world is changing so fast, faster than ever before. So, uh, and our hobby is part of the world. It's part of our, it's part of our, our human experience. So if you don't want to be left in the dust, try and keep up and, and, you know, watching hobby content is a great way to stay on top of things. So, and we are going to talk a bit about hobby content before we move on though. I'm just going to, let's say hello to a few more people who have joined us tonight uh, we have Orvi in the house. Says good Saturday evening to you too, card collector. Welcome to the show. Great to see you again, Ernie. Thank you so much. Two two. Good to see Dallas putting up a fight. The Phillies lost. Sorry to Phillies fans. Um, what else do we have here? Tim Heacock. Welcome to the show, Tim. He says this is a bit of a this is a bit scary in an unregulated industry. Although it isn't in terms of fractional ownership, it's not unregulated. Uh, he says you need a prospectus to do this in the investing world with significant requirements and regulations involved. And yeah, you certainly need a prospectus in terms of issuing uh, securities and uh, you know any sort of equity raises, really. But to Tim, um, these these companies are regulated by the SEC. So there is there is regulation when it comes to fractional ownership. Uh, Rich Klein says, I have a flip phone. And I guess you don't. I'm guessing, Rich, that you don't have any fractional ownership shares anywhere then, do either, do you? <laughs> but Rich, you stay on top of things, man. You, you're for, for a guy who has a flip phone, you're you're staying current. You're, you're, you're don't, don't feel bad, Rich. My dad does too. There you go. He's not as old as your dad, though. Your dad's no, he's 82, not. John. He's not. He's not. He's not that old. <laughs> Ziggy No, who, who co-hosts on Hobby Hotline every yeah. so often, has his own YouTube channel by the same name of Ziggy No. Welcome to the show. Check out his YouTube channel, everybody. It's called Ziggy No. He does. I love his daily update. Comes out every day. He talks about what's going on in the hobby, what's going on in hobby content. Interesting, interesting uh, show. Check it out. Rich says, correct, my friend. He does not own any fractional ownership shares. Okay, so before we move on um, and talk a bit more about grading, I do want to I do want the viewers to uh, to benefit from your experience in grading. We were chatting the other night and we talked about um, how the hobby has changed since, you know, you and I came in it in the very early 80s. And you made the comment about eBay. You first of all, you let me know that you've been on eBay really since eBay started. And we, we went you went back while we were on on uh, in in chatting last night and you realize you you went on you got on ebay in 1996 i thought i got on early i didn't come on until 1999 december 1999 you were already a, a veteran by then <laughs> you made you made the comment to me that the the advent of ebay has been both a blessing and a curse uh can you explain what you meant by that yeah you know i did an episode on sports coordination uh shameless plug again uh called the ebay the blessing and the curse but basically you know i'll give you the synopsis of even that episode um you know in my store days as you mentioned from 92 to 96 when ebay was basically uh to the back end when i got out and i had a partner and i wound up selling out but 
you know, people were coming in the store and saying, hey, that's really how I found out about eBay, quite frankly, was people were coming in the store and saying, John, hey, uh, that Jeter card, can you do $15? I can get it on eBay for $15. Will you, will you do the same price? And I'm like, eBay? And that's where I'm like, what is eBay? What's going on? Where's this new store, eBay? How far away from my store is it? And like, no, it's an auction online. And, you know, obviously uh, what it's changed. I mean, the good thing is, as we know today, it's not fledgling as it was when uh, uh, 95, 96. Um, you could really, you know, if you can't get it there, it probably doesn't exist almost. And, uh, you know, now with, with instant transactions and PayPal and Venmo and, and Pell and who knows what the next, uh, money, uh, you know, instant uh, transfer money. Um, you know, it you can get anything you want, and not just cards, but almost anything. People sell cars uh, on there, you know, and uh, so it, it's made the the world a smaller place as far as business goes. You can, you know, international shipping and, and whatnot. That's that's the blessing. Is no matter what you're looking for, if you have the funds and the means. You can acquire it. The curse to me is it's hurt the brick and mortar, not just card stores. I mean, this is a hobby show, but it's definitely we we have, you know, this as, as well as me. We have a lot less card stores uh, today uh, than we did back then. And and I'm a I'm a card store guy. I, 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 I believe in them. I think they're important. They're important for socialization in the hobby. There's nothing like going to a card store or a card show, and you want a card, a Gretzky rookie, whatever, I'm just using that for example, and have it in your hand, and you know what condition it is, and you can look at it, you can ask the owner, the car, hey, can I take it out of the top loader and take a better look, or can you do that? I'd like to take a, and it's instant gratification. If you make the transaction, um, you walk out of that show, that store, with the card in your possession immediately, and you know what you're getting. Uh, you see it up close and, and, and live. And, you know, you can buy something on eBay. You, you hear stories all the time. Uh, I didn't get that card that was on, on, the, on the site. The picture was, you know, different than the card I received. The card I received, you know, had a bent corner. The picture didn't. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think you can replace, truthfully, 100% card stores or card shows. But the, the, the curse of eBay is there's a lot less of both of those. Um, yeah. of ebay and not just in the card industry but even other stores uh, other industries and uh i don't always think that's a a, a good thing uh the good thing is if the, you know the the other side of that coin is really no matter almost no matter what card uh, you want as long as you have the funds you you can probably go to ebay find it and acquire it yeah that right there to me is the blessing is that i remember back in the even the, the early to mid nineties, you know, uh, finding a Bobby Orr rookie card, which is, you know, an iconic card across the hobby. Um, you know, I grew up in Winnipeg, which, you know, just North of North Dakota in Canada. And, uh, you know, there was like one Bobby Orr rookie known in the city that was at a card shop and you'd go in and you'd look at it. It was in the brick on the shelf behind. And you kind of just looked at it like, wow, a Bobby Orr rookie card, you know, what a, what a, what a beast of a card. Now, now and and that not just a, a card like that, but any card that you couldn't find locally. Now, as soon as the internet came around and eBay came on board, 
um, you could find anything you wanted anytime, pretty much. It, it took a bit, it took a while for it to mature, but you know, eventually nowadays, you know, a, a, back then a card out of 5,000 was super rare. Now a yeah. card out of five, you're probably going to find it eventually if it's out of five, but a card out of 5,000 back then you couldn't ever really find. That was pretty interesting. That to me, that's sort of the, the blessing of it. Um, the curse, like you said, is that it hurts retail and you know, nothing, nothing has hurt retail more, I think, than maybe Amazon, which, which you know, has hurt all retail, bricks and mortar, I should say, which is sort of the analogy to eBay hurting the, the local card shop uh, in terms of the bricks and mortar retail there. You also mentioned, you know, now, you know, when you go to a show or you go to a card shop and you buy a card, you get that instant gratification, which is something that, you know, is very, very, you know, it's almost like a lifeline for people these days, that instant gratification thing. But I would argue and not argue with you, but I would, I would, you know, kind of opine that, you know, there's something to be said for buying a card on the internet and then having to wait, you know, from anywhere from two days to two months, depending for it to arrive. And, and the excitement of waiting for it, to me, that is part of the experience of buying and owning a card is you, you bought, you hit bid, then you you see you won the auction and then you wait for the card to come and then you get it out of your mailbox. And, you know, that's all part of the the experience to me. So, um, you know, I see that yeah. I see the, the bad, but it's all part of the evolution of of the world, too. Go ahead. Yeah. Mail days. It's mail days. We got YouTube videos. I do them uh, of some of my mail days. No doubt. Uh, Jeremy, that's a great point, uh, by the way, uh, as well. Yeah. I mean, you love those. It's like it's like Christmas and, and it's not Christmas, you know, it could yeah. be. It could be September. Here we are in September. You go to your mailbox and it's, you know, uh, some obviously with tracking and, and UPS, you know, USPS and form delivery here in the state. I mean, I you, you know a lot of times what's coming that day, but sometimes you don't. And you're like, what is this? I forgot what I even bought. And it's almost like a surprise uh, to yourself. And, and so, yeah, you can't. I mean, there's a adrenaline rush with that, truth be told, like you said. Yeah. And uh, I, I don't want that to not be the case. I'm just saying, you know, retail wise, like you even uh, reiterated too, is it's it's kind of taken a little bit on the chin. Um, and and they've you know, card stores have sort of had to reinvent themselves. What I did in '92 through '96, uh, truth be told, while I was successful then, that business model would not work today. I, I wouldn't last four years today with what I did then and that's that shows you where how the hobby has has changed and pivoted you know you yeah. can't you know, just do the same thing uh, you did 20 years ago 30 years ago it won't translate no it's like you said they have to adapt i see i see lcs owners all the time um and you know some of them have adapted where they're doing online group breaks they're they're taking their business to facebook live they're doing some different things to complement the in-store traffic and especially during the pandemic with that has certainly uh, decreased so some people are evolving and other card shop owners will be will get lost and we will lose some not not because of anything other than their their inability to uh to adapt and to find other ways and i i shouldn't say no other reason there are other reasons of course but i mean i, I think you're going to lose some because they're just not able to to keep up with the times and what's going on. Okay, that, that's good stuff, man. I want to go back. We I missed a couple questions about the fractional ownership, so we're going to backtrack okay. a little bit. 
Uh, we're going to go to Legion's comment here. He says, is there a third party guarantor that holds the card for fractional ownership? Because if not, it opens up opportunities for mismanagement and scamming. And do you, do you know the answer to this, John? Do you know if there third party oh, guarantors? With the, with the shares that I bought, I had to sign like five different things, literally DocuSign on my phone with my finger. And I remember reading in there that there was a firm that was sort of overseeing uh, all the transactions and, and monitoring them and, and, and documenting them and, and that sort of thing. So there is uh, someone outside of Rally Collectible that's just probably making sure uh, that stuff's above board and that there, there's no funny business uh, going on. I don't, I don't, if you're asking me a specific uh, firm name, I don't no, have it, no. but Just, I remember seeing, you know, I know that sounds terrible. Like, but again, remember I'm, I'm talking about a hundred something dollars. Not, yeah. Uh, yeah. So. No, I think the question, the question really is where are these cards being held? Are they being held by rally and, and, and collectible? Yeah. Or are I they believe they have a fault. I believe they they, they, the word that uh, they use is a vault. Now, whether that's a real vault or that's coat, you know, for a very secure location, you know, I don't know. That's a great yeah. There you go for uh, when uh, Ezra is on. I think it's a, one of these sort of uh, buyer beware sort of things because, you know, the, the, the concern that Legion has here about opportunities for mismanagement and scamming. I mean, yeah, I, I suppose that exi I suppose it exists. I don't know for sure. And we'll find out on October 7th from Ezra. But um, I have to think that they've considered this. And, and as the owners of these companies, they've put in uh, policies that will sort of protect the investor. I, I assume that that might be uh, that, that might that might be, uh, you know, not a great assumption, but. I think it's probably fair. I've worked. I've, I've I've been involved in the investment world before, and you don't. You're not regulated by the SEC if you're not taking precautions to protect your investors. So, but we'll find out more on the seventh. A great question. Thanks for that one. And then Carlos chimes in and he says most of those. And I think he's talking about just you know regular equities. He says most of those securities are tradable on multiple platforms, being stock markets, and the owners have a responsibility to act in the interest of the shareholders. We'll have to see if they have the same here. Yeah, we'll have to see if they do have something similar there. Um, and I hear what Carlos is saying with respect to, you know, financial instruments. Uh, and these cards are now somewhat financial instruments. They are a store of value. They represent real value. That is that is liquid value in most cases. So uh, we'll have to see how that, you know, when we get some more answers. And I'm looking forward to that. I think that the, the opportunity for fractional ownership is huge. I think it's a huge, it can, it's, I think it, it can be and likely will be a huge thing. Just like you said, John, which was funny. You said it at first grading came out. You thought it was a flash in the pan. And now it is, you know, a major part of the hobby. I can see fractional ownership also becoming a major part of the hobby because, you know, even for security reasons, maybe you don't want to hold your own card. So if someone else holds yeah. it for you and you want a piece of it and you're just building a portfolio, it's great for, it's great for investors. It's decent for collectors like like you and me who just want to be involved. And it's awesome for straight out investors who don't really care about holding the cards themselves. All right, let's keep on going. Uh, Tim says, I like this. I remember having to mail US dollar yeah. money orders to pay for my eBay auctions, right? Yeah, yeah, that was yeah I do too. That's funny. Old stuff right there. 
Yam says my my LCS keeps all their top cards in the back for their eBay listings, which is kind of too bad, you know, because I I love it. I go into a shop and I you know have even my my Eastridge here in Calgary where I go with Mike. I'll I'll say to him, hey, anything new? He goes, ah, yeah, but it's going out for grading. Is it gone yet? No, it's not gone yet. Can I see it? No. Oh man, you know maybe I'll pay you for it. You never know, right? But you know you yeah. can't see these cards sometimes. And he goes, unless you know who to how to. Unless you know to ask, you'll never even get to see those in person. Well, sometimes if you do ask, you're still not going to get to see them in person, right? Yeah. Card Killer says, I miss local card shows, smaller ones. eBay made those go away. I'm old enough to remember when you could smoke at those shows and there was a cloud <laughs> of smoke above the tables. Crazy. Yeah. That would not yeah. be, uh, that would be, I mean, never mind smoking for your health and for secondhand smoke. But nowadays, for the we're, we're smart enough now to know that for our cards, you don't want a card that smells like cigarettes. <laughs> That's well, look, sure. they're right in eBay listings, uh, smoke-free home, you know. And, and the one caller there that wrote about, you know, the check, and I remember the eBay listings in the early days. It would say in the description, uh, check or money order, check uh, will wait 7, 10 days to clear before I can mail you your card. Obviously, now we have PayPal and, and instant uh, money exchange, and uh, you don't have to wait that 7, 10 days. But if you mail the check back in the eBay early days, uh, it seemed like forever uh, before that card uh, came back. Yeah, you know? it, used to, it could be a month. Now it's a few <laughs> days, right? Yeah, no doubt. Beans Ball Card Blog says, Yo, oh, Ken. His name is Ken. Ken, hello, Ken. Welcome to the it's show. Ken. Thank you for joining. Uh, Paul Cashman says, Enron was also regulated. It was regulated, but they were cheating. You know, and I'm not, you know I say it like as if no one else cheats. I don't mean that. Enron was was cheating. Um, it, it's kind of funny. No one, you got, I don't know if I've ever said, mentioned this on the show before, but part of the reason I am where I am is because of because of Enron, actually, simply because in nineteen uh, in the year sorry in the year two thousand and one, in two thousand one, when the whole Enron thing was happening, you know the uh, the the accounting firm that went down with Enron was called Arthur Anderson. They're an international they were an international firm with over two hundred thousand employees, of which I was one of them. And when 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 the firm was going down, I remember going to work every morning. Our managing partner would be like, "Oh, it's okay. We're all gonna we're all gonna have our job, no problem." And we knew what you know. We're here. We are in Winnipeg, Canada, a really small town. And meanwhile, down out of the Houston office, the Enron thing was going on. And that Enron thing took down the whole international firm. It, it ceased to exist. Our office ceased to exist. So I saw it coming. I said, "Oh, maybe I'll have time to move out of Winnipeg." And I ended up moving to Calgary and, you know, one thing leads to another and I'm kind of where I am in the hobby now, I think partially because I came to Calgary. So in a way, Enron has something to do with me being here tonight to some yeah. degree. You know, it was meant you, to be. It was if meant you look at the be. butterfly effect sort of thing. Um, <laughs> your buddy says, yep, I've been in the hobby since I could pay for eBay items with cash or money order and a self-addressed stamped <laughs> envelope. No doubt. I remember yeah, that too. And Paul lets us know that the, the uh, the Stanley Cup Finals game is going is two two going into overtime. Good to know. Thank you, Paul. I love being kept up to speed on what's going on in the in the playoffs. So thank you so much for that. All right. Before we get into kind of grading, um, is there anything else you want to say, John, about how you know your opinion on the all these influencers? And I'm not you know whether whether they're influencers like a Gary V who is an influencer outside the hobby, but likes sports cards or an influencer who is in the hobby that has thousands of followers or subscribers. 
when these guys go on and they talk about what they're doing, is it, and that's sort of a similar question to earlier, but I was going to say, is it good or bad? Is it healthy for the hobby? And I know, I know, cause you said earlier that your answer might, well, there's more transactions. That's a good thing. You know, I guess the better question then, John, is when, you know, what is the risk that some, that, that thousands of people come in to the hobby, take advice from people who may or may not know what they're talking about or give good or bad advice and they have a bad experience what where does that leave us the, the lifers who aren't going anywhere no matter what happens with this market today the way it is well if for me it's easy for me to say because whether gary v or another influencer says hey i'm buying all these or you should too or here's my recommendation if i do it i do it because ultimately i i i want to do that um i think the 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 dark area is when someone doesn't hasn't been like you mentioned hasn't been in the hobby uh in a while and then they take that information as gospel let's say and that's the risk now my argument even even in those cases jeremy is i don't blame the person say yeah you you know you can turn a microphone on and say whatever you want now i'm not gary v and i don't have anywhere near that influence so i'm not saying that but ultimately we're kind of responsible for our own actions or transactions. And so if Gary V says, Hey, I'm buying all Devin Booker cards and everyone else does that, you know, it is what it is. I, I think it's you, people still have to do that. They still have to take out their wallet or their PayPal account and, and buy those cards. And I don't, I don't think it's Gary uh, V's fault. Now, a lot of people accuse of, you know, we, we've heard the term pump and dump where, there's a, a method to their madness where they're buying these cards cheap first or cheaper uh, first. And then they're like, hey, I'm investing in them. And then what? Because they say that they know people are going to believe uh, and, and act on what they say. Now they're putting those cards they bought at $100 out for $300 and selling to those people that heard what they said. Um, yeah, that's an issue. I mean, to, to say it wouldn't be is is disingenuous but still someone has to be willing to pay that for that transaction to happen so if if, if gary v or anyone i know he's the, the poster child for this topic so i keep going to him I, he knows that himself so we're, we're not breaking news here um uh you know if he's doing that and it's it's genuine and there's no alter you know agenda there well you know, then I, I don't really have an issue with it. We still have to act on it ourselves as consumers. Um, and, uh, you know, the flex seal guy that comes on, right? Billy Mays here, you know, or whatever. You People still have to buy that. You, you, you know, you may not like that guy or stick or it's a, uh, it's a gimmick or it doesn't really work, but millions of people buy it, right? I think it's the, the responsibility in the end of the day has to fall on the buyers to make those uh, decisions. The, the, the unfortunate part is those folks that have bad motives or, or, you know, not the good of the hobby in mind are sort of preying on the newer folks that just are impulse or kind of just buying into what, what someone says. And that's, that's the inherent risk. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hear you. And I, th I think that the, where I, where I have hope, 
in all this is that, again, the numbers game, hopefully a lot of these people or some of them stick with the hobby, just like you and I did after seeing our first sports cards when we were seven or eight years old. So I think yeah. some of these guys will. You know, I think the collector gene exists and you're, you're either predisposed to wanting to collect or, 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 or you're not or, you, you know, it may be either you're, I don't know, are you born with it or do you learn it? I'm not exactly sure, but if you are predisposed to collecting and you're introduced to it because of these influencers, it's not a horrible thing. If, 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 if 100 people are introduced to it and 10 of them stick around, hey, that's 10 people more than we had from then before. So that's, uh, I think it's not the worst thing. Eric Westrom says, always do your own research and thinking about what you want to buy, whether it's for your own collection or to yep. sell. Peter, that's, that's great advice. That way you yep. can't blame anybody else, right? Like you said, John, we're responsible for our own actions and transactions. And that's exactly why you say that, right? Yeah, that's a great point with Eric, and I, I I couldn't have said it better myself. I mean, it's nice to get an opinion, right? We all have done that. Uh, me and you have done that even with all our experience. Hey, I did it what today. do you think of this deal? Or, you think it's a good deal? You think I should wait? You think I should act on it now, right? But at the end of the day, I mean, we might value someone's opinion, but, you know, I've gotten advice and not taken it. And I've gotten advice and did what exactly what the, the person advising me has said. It, it's Still, you know, you kind of want that outside uh, thought or the outside opinion. But at, at the end, you know, it's it's your decision which way you way you go. And and I think it's the same way with cards. It's 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 great to listen to people if that's what you want to do. But uh, like Eric said, do at the end of the day, do your own research too. Uh, don't just listen to someone and not do a little bit of of fact finding yourself as well. For sure. For sure. Well said. All right, man, let's move along. Um, I will watch the comments, everybody, for the trickling comments that come in on these uh, the, the last couple topics we've had. But we're going to move on to grading because John's been involved uh, in grading for really since it started. He's been, you know, although he thought it might have been a flash in the pan at the beginning, he quickly learned it wasn't. And he's been submitting cards. He sent. He told me he's sent in several thousands of cards for grading over the years. So I want to. I really want him to share his experience with all of us. Um, so, John, let's just start off with um, what can you tell us about? You know, there's three big companies. There's PSA, BGS, and SGC. Where do you think each of them, one at a time, if you don't mind, where do you think they excel, each of them, and where do you think they do not excel? All right. So I got to give a, a sort of a disclosure first to be transparent. SGC. Uh, does sponsor Sports Card Nation. But um, that being said, I'm going to give you the, the straight scoop and, and be honest uh, regardless. I, uh, like you said, I think there's really three. We do have uh, one that's coming. Uh, you know, I think they're uh, SCG or something to that effect, or CSG. Um, they they came from the comic book side, and now we're entering the arena. Uh, they haven't actually started yet. They're building their... Uh, their personnel and their staff up. But uh, so right now there's, there's the big three, as you say, PSA, uh, BGS and SGC. If you ask 10 people to rank them, you'll get six different orders. Um, uh, you know, they, you know, they've all been around, you know, a lot of people think SGC is new and they're not, they've been around uh, uh, almost 20 years uh, themselves. SGC's, got the label as being sort of a vintage grading company, but, uh, you know, they're, they've made strides. If you look at uh, realized sales, you know, there used to be a gap between PSA and SGC. 
whether you like it or not, that gap has closed. And we've seen a couple big cards, uh, SGC-wise, actually sell more than uh, PSA. Uh, you know, when we're talking about the big three, we, we you got to get the, you know, the, the, the elephant in the room is uh, when you're going to get your cards back. And they're, right now they're all uh, in that same boat. It's not a good boat, and, and it's taking a while for submissions to get back unless you're on that $100, like, express two-day, three-day thing. Um, outside of that, you're going to be waiting uh, a while. And, uh, you know, we can get into PSA. We, we've all, most people have heard some of the scandals and issues. Um, they, you know, they're publicly, out of the three grading companies, they're the only publicly traded one uh, on, on Wall Street. And so they have a board of directors and, uh, you know, and there's been issues there where some people uh, aren't there anymore. And there's some new people that have just taken uh, positions uh, just because I think uh, the direction they were going in, some some folks uh, inside the inside the walls there didn't like it, and so there's there's some there's you know where there's smoke there's fire we can say that uh, with PSA I think Beckett you know with all due respect to my friend Eric I know he's not in the grading uh, room itself but they've probably lost the most out of the three they've lost really the most traction. You know, it used to be um, people would make the argument, you know, who's one or two, PSA or BGS. And then SGC was kind of like the little stepbrother that wasn't really in the family. Like they adopt, like he was adopted. He gets the ride in the back of the station wagon. He never gets the front seat. And, you know, that that dynamic has, has changed as far as I'm, I'm concerned. And many people, uh, and myself included, would probably move them up ahead you, you hear more psa sgc debates now than the old psa bgs um uh debates you know it's funny when when we talk about these three companies it's a hot topic i mean people get really really fired up like you know like even resulting to insulting people and name calling and this company sucks and you don't know what you're talking about like i've seen like literally you know online fights just over the companies and um you know so i i think that the gap has closed i i'm going to put sgc second some people are going to probably listen like their 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 mouth's probably wide open but uh, regardless of whether you think you know beckett's still second or even some people might put bgs first uh, to me they've lost the most traction you 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 hear a lot less about them than a year or two ago quite frankly and there's a reason uh, whatever you want to put that, you know, the black label scandal, um, they just raised their, their, their prices. Uh, I don't know by how many percent, but it was a significant increase. They're, they're like 10 day uh, services. Like they, they've said it themselves. It's like, don't expect it for six weeks and, uh, or eight weeks. And, uh, you know, so some of the stuff they're doing, Jeremy is sort of like self-inflicted, you know, it's, it's, uh, like some of the press releases could have been worded better. Like who's proofreading this stuff um, before they release in this. And uh, I've read things where I'm like, man, I, you could have changed that to that said the same thing, but it just would have played better. And I'm not a writer, but you know, but even I could see that. Like, how is, how is that getting out of the bu building written like that? And um, you know, uh, but uh, I, I, you know, it's one of those questions. I don't have, 
the definitive answer because there's really no true definitive answer. It's like asking someone, do you like Burger King or McDonald's or, or Wendy's? Right. And, yeah. you know, somebody's going to say Wendy's. Someone's going to say, oh, man, you know, the fries at McDonald's are way better than Burger King. And so it's it's whoever you ask. But uh, my myself, uh, you know, that SGC, that gap is closed. And that's not really my opinion. That, you can look that stuff up. And, and that's see, your I mean, we just, that's yeah, your just, yeah, and you just seen a Jordan, you know, the Jordan rookie SGC $420,000. It's the highest Jordan rookie, uh, pristine 10. And, uh, you know, they, 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 there's some other ones too. And, uh, the gap is, is closing. Now there's people just don't like them and won't accept them and just are vehemently opposed to them. But, um, they're here, they're here, yeah. whether you like it or not. That's right. You know, I, th I think a lot of it, you talked about like online fights. And when I think of that, you know, a lot of people, oh, they, they speak or they type their experiences and their thoughts and their opinions. And a lot of is a lot of those opinions are based on their true and real experiences that they've had with the grading companies. And so they're going to, you know, just like anything, if you get hot coffee spilled at you on McDonald's, you're going to take it out on McDonald's, right? You're not, and now you yeah. might go eating at Burger King sort of thing, you know, to use the restaurant analogy again. So I think a lot of it has to do with that personal experience. Um, as, you know, as far as them taking so much time to get cards back now, I think there's a lot of limiting factors there, uh, not to make excuses for them, but you know, there are reasons for these yeah. things that are happening. Uh, but I wanted to ask you this, um, Actually, before I ask you that, I want to also mention that, you know, there's some chatter about, you know, SGC has a lot of people think it's new because uh, they seem to have come out of nowhere in the last really six months. But as you know, as I know, they've been around longer than Beckett Grading Services have been around. They've been around almost as long as PSA. And like you said earlier, they were the go to for vintage, really pre-war vintage for the longest time. I remember walking around the National in the late 2000s, early 2010s. And you would see hundreds of SGC cards, but the cards in them were all pre-war. Not all, but many were pre-war. So they've been around a long time. And now, you know, they've got younger leadership and they're really trying to penetrate the modern game as they should. Of course, you're going to want to build your business. It only makes good sense. So the common, the common generally accepted rule in the hobby that I have, that is based on my perceptions and observations has been that pre-war cards, SGC, vintage cards, PSA, modern cards, BGS. Never mind BVG, just Beckett grading for, for modern cards. That's a general rule. Do you sense that changing at all now where PSA is getting more modern submissions and Beckett is getting more vintage submissions and obviously SGC is getting more submissions across all eras? Are you noticing that as well? Yeah, I mean, sure, sure. I don't want to disagree with you. I think I think you're right. I think at one well, sorry, time. Sorry, it's not disagreeing. These are just my perceptions. Yeah, yeah. From my conversations with hundreds of people over the years, that's what people generally believe that I've come across. So feel free yeah. to to yeah. state what you've perceived. I think it was once like that. I think that was right on the money, uh, what you said. But I think th those days are different now. I think, I mean, right now, SGC 
is is getting heavy modern they're 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 you know i, I know from talking to peter steinberg uh, quite a bit they're at a 700 percent increase in submissions with a good per percentage of that being modern now and you know the the, the troubles sgc they sort of you know i had peter on a couple weeks ago and he you know he, he said this himself they sort of dug a little hole for themselves because when PSA and Beckett was kind of shut down with the pandemic, SGC, and it was smart. They really went on the offensive with ads and, hey, we're open. You'll get your stuff back, uh, you know, uh, timely. Someone else can't do that. We can. Uh, we're the answer. And it worked. That that ad campaign worked tremendously. It worked too well, as, as Peter said. And it, it sort of bit them because the one thing they were – bragging about would, would timely get your stuff back very quickly because their business exploded even more than they anticipated. Uh, and he said, no excuses. They got to own it. They, they got in way over their head and they bit off sort of more than they can chew. And now they're, now they're playing catch up. And, you know, that's the comment you're going to see on message boards or even their own social media posts. They'll, they'll post something and read the comments. It's people saying, Hey, uh, How's it feel? Like you, you know, you you're making fun of PSA and Beckett. What are you doing now? You you the yeah. same. You did the same thing. You 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 know, you got egg on your face, so to speak. And uh, you know, Peter was was for it, right? He said, you know, yeah, we, you know, I mean, it's a good problem that our business has went up that much, but we sort of got caught not anticipating to that level, and now we have to uh, hire more staff. They're hiring more staff, and so is PSA. And uh, uh, and so they're all scrambling to, you know, up their staffing and streamline their process. And I I think they're sort. I think even P, you know, you're talking about two companies that, like you said, have been around twenty something years, and they're still sort of flying by their seat of the pants. And that's and that's strictly because the grading industry, the grading part of this hobby has exploded. That's yeah. the word. It's there's no you, you can't you know to not you know make it smaller it's it's exploded you you at the national you see the lines for the grading submission and you know we're talking we're kind of making like a back uh, an afterthought their lines are long too though they're not hurting for business um and and all three are just uh being bombarded with submissions and struggling to get them back into the collectors and, and dealers hands and you know what? You know we've heard. I'm sure you've heard all the. So everyone has the answer, right? Uh, automation. Let's have you know in baseball we want to have computer umpires and get rid of the human element. And you're hearing that now in the grading industry. Let's yeah. get let's get computers and scanners and lasers, and it gives the car to grade. I I'm not sure. I really like that. Yeah. I know. I know. I know the negative. You know, people say. If the grader got in a fight with his wife that morning before he went to work, he's going to take it out on my car. Maybe my car is between a 9 and an 8.5, and because his wife yelled at him, I get an 8.5, right? I don't know the. I don't know if that's true. I'm, I'm sure anything's yeah. possible. Again, um, yeah, it comes. It comes, John. It comes back to everyone's going to have comments based on their experiences. So, yeah. I you know I hear I hear what you're saying. Let's just move along a little bit here. I want I want to get to a couple comments here, if I may. Uh, yeah. You know, you mentioned it's you know grading has been ex has exploded. It explode. It's a, it's been exploding for about the last 15 years. 
But in yeah. the last six months, it's exploded like supernova style where it nothing that they could have imagined. And it's because people had more time to send in more cards, I believe. And because cards became worth so much more that they were now sending more in. I've heard, I've heard people refer to the, the junk, I've heard junk, the junk gem era, and I've heard the junk slab era. I like the junk slab era as a, as a, a term for it. And I don't say I, I'm really believe, I, I'm not certain I buy into it yet, but if you're going to buy into us being right now in a junk slab era, just wait till these companies get through their backlog and there's thousands more cards out, tens of thousands more cards out on the secondary market. We may be even more in a, a junk slab era if that's where we're going. Let's just get to a few comments though here, John. Um, Beans Ball Cards blog says, I would love to see someone say SGC is new. I would lay into them as much as I lay into Project 2020. Yeah, a lot of people just aren't aware that they've been around so long. Carlos says, I was chuckling about that some months ago. He, you, you missed out. I guess he saw someone do that. Yam chimes in and says, CGC is live already in Pokemon and gaining some respect. And I'd expect them to gain respect considering they come from the uh, comic grading background. So they already have processes and policies and staff and reputation. Yeah. So that's great. Carlos said, this is interesting. The ranking, and this is the ranking of the grading companies, is going to be based on what you're ranking. Are you, are you ranking the value on resale? the attractiveness of the holder. And that's one we didn't talk about yet, but that's a big one. A lot of people hate one slab and love the other. And we all, just like we, some people like the looks of one card and hate the looks of another, right? We all have our own our own kind of taste in that uh, when it comes to what the card looks like all dressed up in these slabs. He then goes on to mention grading consistency and the order can change depending on what you want to talk about. And he's 100% right. You pick any of those criteria, you may get a different order for each criteria. Let's keep yeah. on moving. Beans ball card blocks as I remember SGC working with Collector's Edge in 99-2000. There would be slabbed cards in retail boxes. Yeah, I remember that as well. I think many people underestimate the fact that PSA has a set registry and the other two don't. I believe that would help close these gaps a tremendous amount. Another excellent point that neither you or I mentioned already, John, but the yep. PSA set registry, I think gives PSA a real big advantage because and i'm speaking from my own habits and experience i partake partake in well over 100 sets on the psa set registry that i you know i have one or two cards or more on in and i find it very entertaining and a lot of fun so that does give their slab oh, yeah. the benefit because a lot of collectors while some collectors will buy a card does not you know they'll they'll examine the card they'll decide i want this card and i don't care whose holder it's in whereas other collectors want that holder because of the PSA set registry. Really interesting. 3B Collection, welcome to the show, says, whatever happened to PGS, are they still around? I can't speak to that, but what I can speak to is there are two other, you know, I'm up in Canada and there are two other grading companies up here. One's called KSA and one is called MNT. And while Canadians are well aware of these two companies, uh, I don't think any Americans really know about them unless you come up to the Toronto Expo twice a year and see them there. But there are a couple of others. And we always wonder what it'll take to get a, a serious player in Canada. And I think as long as PSA, BGS, and SGC are, you know, residing in a country that is 10 times the size of Canada population-wise, it's going to be tough for any Canadian company to uh, to really compete with those big three. Does that make sense to you, John? Yeah, I've heard of MNT. I've heard of them, uh, not, not KSA. 
And, and um, KSA has been around for 30 years. Yeah. Are they, I mean, they're no affiliation, you know, it's almost like it makes you wonder if like PSA or, or one of the other, even two companies even look to maybe like acquire them and get that, that Canadian market. You know what I mean? Even more, even more so. I wonder if that's ever been even on the table, um, you know, but uh, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming, uh, you know, more about, I mean, they I'm heavy hockey. I'm assuming that they, they, they mostly grade. Yeah. Here's a funny comment by Paul Cashman. I like the junk slab term. I shake my head at some submissions. Friends don't let friends submit pro set. That's hilarious. <laughs> Except for the Stanley Cup hologram or the uh, or the uh, or, or the football. What's the football trophy called again? The it's just Lombardi. 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 Thank you. Just uh, yeah. Uh, Carlos says KSA hurt themselves a lot with the consistency. I've seen enough of their graded cards that are borderline. That hurts perception. The other problem with them is that their their slabs are really junky and cards slide right out of the spot very regularly, which is just uh, unacceptable in my in my mind. Yam says a third party should create a non-denominational set registry service. That's an interesting, that's a very interesting suggestion right there, Yam. Really. Yeah. So someone unrelated to these companies, create your own set registry or create a set registry for the hobby where all slabs are welcome, not just PSA, not just Beckett, not just uh, SGC. That's a that's a real interesting idea, Yam. Yeah, that could have some legs if anybody wants to run with it. Sean Robb jumps in and says, do you think people overemphasize the four? <laughs> Sean, so off topic, my man. So off topic. <laughs> We're not, not going to go there right now, Sean, but thanks for the question. Well, we'll see if we come around to it later. Let's keep talking about grading, though, John. Um, another thing I want I want you to address for everybody is and I'm not as aware of it as you are, but there's been an explosion of, I've heard it referred to as the explosion of the nines. What does that mean? Explosion of the nines. The the nines, uh, you know, PSA nines were always sort of looked at, or, or just nines, I said PSA nines, but, you know, predominantly PSA nines, but nines in, in the grading industry in general were always viewed as the same price or just slightly more than what a raw card would go for or sell for. And in the, in the last year or two, that, that has been altered tremendously. That landscape uh, has changed where nines have went up, uh, in some cases on, on certain cards, two to 300%. Uh, the one that really sticks out uh, to me is uh, uh, the Griffey Upper Deck Rookie. You know, you could at one point you could get a, a PSA 9 for 30, 40, 50 bucks somewhere in that range and that thing just exploded and and, and the reason uh is i just think a lot of people you know and not you can argue what, what's the real big difference you look at a nine in a slab and a ten in the slab and you put them next to each other sometimes it's hard to discern any difference and so people want to change that nine crack it out of that resubmit it and make it a ten and then again obviously uh, price-wise from a 9 to a 10, even with the 9s going up in value, was still significant as well. I wonder if some people are are investing more into 9s because they think, hey, I can take a PSA 9, I can submit it to Beckett, maybe it gets a 9.5, which generally sells for more than a PSA 9. Maybe it gets a a, PS, uh, a BGS 10 even, who knows, or maybe... Maybe you resubmit it to PSA and your nine turns into a 10, knowing, as we know, there's no PSA 9.5 grade available while BGS does have one. 
I wonder if some of that's going on. Do you, do you think some of that is going on where you're really, you're buying them? It's almost like buying really nice raw cards to get graded, but now you're looking at buying PSA 9s because they have the best chance of getting a BGS 9.5. Does that? Yeah. Is, yeah. No, I, th I think you hit it right on the head there, Jeremy. I think you got that. I think even even past the 9.5s, I think people even really are, are thinking bigger. Hey, I, I this could grade a 10, you know, if in the right grader's hand. And, uh, you know, uh, I look at a 9, I look at a 10, I don't see a, a huge difference. This could, and then when I get it back next time, I could have the 10 people, you know, it's called crossover. They send it to a different company. People will even send it back to the same company, you know, PSA. They'll break the PSA 9 out. And send it back to PSA, just hoping this time it comes back a ten, and and it's made the nines uh, hugely more marketable than they previously were. Uh, they've exploded. I'm not going to lie; I've sort of taken advantage. Uh, we talk about adapting. Uh, truth be told, full disclosure, I've probably benefited uh, as a you know there were nines that would sit in in these shoe boxes here. Uh, with not, you know, very little chance. I don't want to say very little chance, but, you know, not highly desirable. And, and literally very quickly, those, you know, that that dynamic changed. And, you know, I, I wound up having to actually list a lot more nines I had that I didn't even list because they weren't, you know, they would just sit there and, and it's changed the, the whole landscape of, of the grading. Now, will that continue? Oh, right now it, it it is. I think it's 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 sort of corrected itself a little bit, but it's still it's still there. It's still happening. And at the end of the day, a PSA nine st is still, you know, supposed to be a card that is in, in mint condition. Yeah. And I remember, you know, back in the eighties, early nineties, you know, we all wanted mint condition cards. And I I remember like thinking a card could be mint condition. Centering wasn't really a, a big deal to me back in those years when I was just filling in my binders with with my set my my, my base sets of Opeachy hockey every year, you know, from eighty to nineteen eighty nine type of thing. Uh, you just wanted the cards back then more than anything, right? Yeah. It wasn't so, but but we still we wanted mint condition, but we I don't I don't remember looking at centering as much, but that's that's besides the point. Um, it's still a mint condition card. That's quite respectable, I think, as far as vintage cards goes there's maybe a bigger difference between the different grade, you know, a, a seven to an eight an eight to a nine and, and all the other ones versus a modern card, which are, you know, the technologies, the printing technologies have just gotten so much better, even though we still see issues right out of the pack all regularly. But I am, um, but I think it's uh it's much tougher to see the difference between a, you know, a modern day card that's in a PSA nine versus a BGS nine five versus a, versus a PSA 10 or a BGS 10. So I can see PN it's, it's, it's nice. It's interesting to hear that you've benefited from it because, you know, but it takes a keen eye to do that as well. So a couple of things from there, right? There's opportunity, I suppose, but also the PSA nine is a very respectful grade and it's way more affordable than a PSA 10 in, in most yeah. cases, way more affordable. So you can still have a mint condition card, and have a ton of money left over to buy other cards with, which I think is very in a very attractive situation for a lot of people who don't have unlimited funds and want to have more cards in their collection. So let's get to a few comments, and then we'll, we're going to move along. Um, where were we here? 
right here. So uh, first, Dave Jones says, great idea, Yamwax on the non-denominational uh, set registry, which I think is a really good idea. Eric says, really good comments on the individual preference of the look of the slab and buying based on wanting the card. I have cards slabbed by all three. I'm usually after the card, but do look closely at the card in the holder. Again, yep. you're dressing up your card. You want it to look nice. I've heard people refer to the SGC holder as a tuxedo because it's yeah. it's black. It almost looks like you're you're zipped up. You know, you got a nice black. I think it looks all right. I like the looks of all three slabs. I like the slabs that are a little bit lighter. Like BGS has a thicker slab. I prefer a bit of a thinner slab. But again, it's all dependent on the card. And I'm happy. I have several of each in my collection as well. Uh, Bobby Burrell says we're in the 1990s boom 2.0. I've heard a lot of people talking about it. Are we repeating the 90s? And you know, I think there are some aspects of today's market that are reminiscent of the 90s, but I think there's more that aren't. Uh, it's it's almost like comparing, you know, a, it's almost like comparing who Luca to Michael Jordan or or Connor McDavid to Gordy Howe or you know Patrick Mahomes to Johnny Unitas. I mean. You're talking about players in different eras using different equipment, eating different food, not smoking and drinking beer during the games. Um, and when we talk about the market now versus the market then, there's so many differences that it's hard to really know if we are truly in a 2.0. But I think this using the terminology 2.0 is, is um, it makes sense because it's appropriate because 2.0 at the core of using that terminology, it, it, it means to advance. And, and the hobby has advanced along with all the technology and business around it and, and methods of trade. So interesting, interesting comment. That, that, that's worthy of a whole show on itself is comparing today to the 90s, right? And Legion says, I think that people would rather buy a PSA 9 than take a risk on a raw card and maybe don't want to spend the money for a 10. It's already encapsulated. So someone else has paid and waited. Very true. And I think that yeah. makes a lot of sense, Legion. Yeah, no no uh, real commentary after that. That's what I would say, too. All right. And, you know, one of, one of the um, the viewers mentioned with KSA having some of the, um, you know, overgrading uh, issues, you know. That's something that's plagued Beckett recently uh, and, and I think has uh, kind of tied into why they've sort of, Falling back a little bit, you know that the the, um, the uh, Zion Prism got released, you know PWCC, and uh, it was clearly not uh, a Gem Mint Ten, and uh, uh, it, it got encapsulated as such, and they really got raked over the coals, and probably should have. I know I I posted it and said this is kind of ridiculous, like you know, and uh, it's that kind of stuff that's, you know, when it happens, I, I know it's all, you know, grading is subjective. I, I think we all can agree on that. It's, it's, it's you know, I, I always use grading and like an umpire in baseball, uh, you know, it's borderline strike, right? He, that umpire calls it a strike and the next game pitches in the same spot, but that ump doesn't raise his hand, it's a ball. And so grading sort of like that uh, too, but when you see a card, that's graded a 10 and it's very obvious that it's really not. It, it's hard to uh, explain that one away. And then when it gets out there for public consumption, as that car did, it's, it's that, that horse has left the barn and you can't get it uh, back in. And so, yeah, it's like, it takes a lifetime to build a reputation and a second to ruin yeah. it. And, and I'm not saying that any of these companies' reputations are ruined, although they are in the minds of certain hobbyists, I'm sure. Um, 
I, I hear what you're saying because you know we see off-centered tens all the time. You mentioned yeah. you know grading is subjective, and you hear that all the time. You hear comments like it depends what kind of day the grader's having and all that, but it really shouldn't be that subjective because the grading companies have standards. And if you go on PSA's website, they're very clear as to what constitutes a PSA 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, all the way down, and what sort of flaws are allowable for each grade point. And maybe for it to become less subjective and more objective, they need to amend these, these standards and make them more detailed and add more description, add more um, quantifiable numbers or, or amounts to how many flaws can exist in, on a card in a cert, uh, within a certain criteria of that card to, to make it into a certain grade uh, or into a certain slab, let's say a certain flip in the slab, a certain grade point. I'm not sure. Maybe they just need to tighten up their, their standards and make them more, be, become more transparent. I had a heck of a time on Beckett's website the other day, finding out what, it, what is a 10? What is a, what is a nine? What is an eight? Um, I couldn't find it. So PSA's website, I could find it. I'd really like to see Beckett put that information front and center so that we can all yeah. understand that. And it's, you know, I wonder why it isn't front and center. Uh, is it because it is so, so subjective and it's, and they just haven't gotten around to it yet. Um, but over across the board, I think they need to tighten up these standards, make them uh, be transparent with them as PSA already is with theirs. And I can't speak to SGCs. I'm just not, not familiar with, with how, uh, how they are in terms of their putting the, the standards out there. But I'd like to see that. I'd like to see them out there and I'd like to see them tightened up. I think that could help. Uh, you're, you're never going to get perfection in this because they are still human. But the other thing I'll say about grading, and you see it all the time on Facebook groups, someone will post up a card and they'll say, it's graded. And they'll say, this got a four. What do you think? And then people will chime in from all over the world without holding the card in hand. And they'll say, oh, you got ripped off. Oh, that's a six at least. Oh, that's a place. Like, don't ever ask me to grade your card without putting it in my hand to see. You can't see a card on a screen. You can't, you know, even... PWCC has their super enhanced images. You still can't change the angle and bounce light off it at different angles. So, and you yeah. need to be able to do that to truly grade a card. You cannot grade a card from looking at a scan on your computer screen in a Facebook group. People do that. It always kind of irks me, but <laughs> hey, you know, that's fine. You're yeah, getting in opinion. But when everybody chimes in and says, oh, oh, that's, that's an eight for sure. It's like, it's like, <laughs> Really? Like, like asking what grading company they work for? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. What grading company do you work for? And 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 what magnification did you use to make that assessment? Because if you're not using thirty times magnification at least, you can't grade a card. So anyway, just one of my pet peeves in in the in the hobby is that one right there. Joe says one of the best parts of the hobby is sharing perspectives, and that's yep. that's the beauty of. Of, of hobby content right now and the the explosion of hobby content, which we had on our agenda to talk about tonight, John, uh, yeah. and learning more about your hobby, uh, your hobby content footprint. So uh, before we kind of segue to that, there's only a few more comments we're going to have a quick look at here. Beans Balkard says that we should be able to call out bad graders like we do bad umpires or referee. Well, we do. We do call them out, but who's listening, right? Just the people that yeah. you're that are following. I don't know. Does, does Ken want? Does Ken want like each car? You know, you get your underwear and it said uh, inspected by Inspector Twelve. Does he want like the cars? Uh, uh, this was inspected by Jim. You know what I mean? So, right. so when Jim screws up, we can like go on social media and say, 
bad job, Jim. Uh, you, you know, my uh, Luca should have been uh, a nine and a half, and you gave it uh, a nine. Well, he- I, but you know what? You got to stand behind your work. I mean, I, I, I'm joking about it, but it is a point. I mean, it, 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 it I mean, it has some merit. I, I don't think you'll, you're never going to see that. I don't think the companies are going to put their employees out there like that. And I don't know if oh. they want to be. Well, he, on, he goes on to say right here, no, the individual graders, not the grading <laughs> company. I think, I think if they did that, you wouldn't find any graders. The, 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 the grading would end because no one's going to do it because they know yeah. that it's, it's a, yeah. it's, it's a, I forget the term, but it's, it's, it's a, it's a position that just gets no love, right? It only gets hate. So no, no, one's, no one's going no to do that. And I don't, I don't think they need to do that, but I'd like to see some more consistency. Obviously we all do. Okay. Let's keep going. Cause that's sort of, we're just stating the obvious at that point. Um, Paul lets me know that uh, the hockey game's gone to double overtime. All right. Dallas doesn't want to go out easy. That's for sure. So good for them for putting up a fight. Card killer says, does anyone else see the grade past gem mint a gimmick? So I think uh, you were talking about the black label. So the pristine black label in Beckett, and we're talking about the new SGC 10 gold, I believe, which is like, you know, a special 10, just like Beckett's black label. Do you see it as a gimmick? Uh, Do you see that as a gimmick, John? I think it's a, I think it becomes a gimmick when that card is holdered as such and you can see that it's not and that's the risk these companies have now taken by going up to that you know that level is you better be sure um, that no one can can even look in that card in a scan and say man look at that edge you know it's got some fray how is that? A pristine. I, I can see that from my living room. I think that's what is the risk of making it a gimmick. I don't think it's a gimmick if it's not used too freely. Hey, this is a gem. You know, the Oprah, the Oprah uh, phenomenon. You get a ten. You get a ten. You get a gem mint, right? If yeah. if it's really reserved for cards that you know go through two or three graders and like. Like I don't see anything wrong with this card, Jeremy. You, you look. You, you find anything? You don't. Yeah, man, you're you're right. This thing is sweet. Let's ask Mike. Mike, you know, we, me, Jeremy, and John have looked at this. What say you? And if it can get through that sort of uh, rigmarole, that sort of, you know, more than one person, where it's it's very apparent that this card meets all that criteria then I don't think it's a gimmick. I think the risk of becoming a gimmick is they're given away too freely and they don't, they don't, they're, they can be picked apart uh, publicly. Like no way, like there's no way that card, you know, that's, that was a favor done to somebody. Right. I think think you're right, John. I think you're right because, you know, first of all, these, these pristines and golds, like what they're doing is they're taking the subgrades and if they're all tens, they're making it a black label a, 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 as a as in a, a true 10 versus, you know, three tens and a nine five, which is really the only other option for a 10. I love when you see people say it's 0.5 away from black label. Well, every BGS 10 is 0.5 away from a black label. But <laughs> right. But in any event, if each of those subgrades is perfect or or within the within the, 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 the standards for what a 10 needs to be. Then it's a then it should be a ten. But if you can look at it with a naked eye and see some fraying on the edges or an imperfect corner or the centering isn't 50-50, 
then I think, you know, we're being a little bit too loose with them. So, you know, the question was, is it a gimmick? I mean, it's only, like you said, I think you nailed it, John. It's only a gimmick if they're not respecting the perfection of, of the, the, the perfect 10. Let's keep going. Yeah. Let's keep going. To, back to talking about, you know, people grading cards on screen. Paul says, I suspect people who comment on those photos also own Mint Gretzky rookies, right? <laughs> of course they do, because they think they are. I'll, I'll, on that whole, you know, on, on the whole action of putting a card out there and people saying, hey, what do you think it'll grade? I can never know. You know, you can never give a, a perfect opinion, but I do not, I don't look down upon or think it's wrong to put it out there and say, guess the grade. Hey, guess the grade yeah. on this card. That's kind of fun to do. I don't have any issues with that, but don't be looking for really good opinions online unless you can put the card in somebody's hand. Back to that again. Yeah. Uh, Joe says, old BVG label is fire. They were so hard on the corners. So, you know, again, and and this comes back to it's, it's people, right? And you don't have the same staff every single year um, in, in any company, never mind grading company. So, and I think standards do change as well. I remember when PSA got a new director of grading. I heard this kind of, you know, hearsay, but it was a it was a female person in the position. And I heard that she made the grading standards a lot tougher way back when. Now, who knows if that's true? But again, it's just just to yeah. to just to emphasize that different staff in these companies will lead to different results. Yeah. Right? Uh, Bean says, uh, yeah, grading would end. Oh, what a shame. So you're okay with that. Uh, yeah. Paul says, I wonder about fuzzy edges, if they're like the warts on a dog and are considered correct for the breed at a dog show, which is true <laughs> for the 1979 Opeachy Wayne Gretzky rookie. It's considered uh, appropriate for the card. That's a whole other discussion we don't need to get into, but very interesting. And the Lakers are going to the final. Thank you, Paul. I think everybody, well, I called that. I'm sure most people did. All right, man. That's a good discussion on grading. I think I think we covered a lot there. Got some good information out there. Thanks everybody for the comments. I'll take a Tools second. Tools of the trade right here too. Uh, I use magnification. So and you know. light. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. And light. Yeah, I have one of these fancy little loops, a jeweler's loop that I picked yeah, up those, on I, eBay. Work great too. Yeah. This was like this was this came from somewhere in Asia to my door under ten dollars. And yeah. it works well. The light's burnt out by now. I've had it for years, but it still works. I have to tighten the screws every so often so it doesn't come apart. But it's 30 times magnification. No, 40 times magnification. And it works really well. But people don't always know how to use these. I'm just going to show very quickly something to, to people. If you're going to look at a card under a loop, you got you got to hold this thing right up to your eye. And you got to get in close. you got to be like that. That's how you got to do it, right? I don't know, John. I'm sure you've, yeah. you've done it as well. Okay. Yeah. Let's move along. Uh, we're coming. We're we're at an hour thirty eight. We're going to wrap up here pretty soon, John. I did tease in my you know in talking about having you on that uh, you can share some shed some light onto football because you are an expert in football. And so you know what are some players that are currently maybe ripe for the picking if you're looking to get in uh, before it's too late on 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 certain uh, you know on any athlete. Is there are there any guys in football that are kind of like you know the, the 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 current state of the market hasn't caught up to them yet? Yeah, if you would ask me last week, I would have told you Jonathan Taylor and and Herbert, the quarterback from the the Chargers. But uh, we're a week too late, as uh, you know. And that's that's you know we talk about day trading and how fast this market changes. There's a perfect example. Last week, I would have mentioned those two right off the top. 
and now you can't because their stuff has already uh, went through that that crescendo and and still going. It might you might be able to still get uh, some some decent deals with them, but uh, you know the buzz is 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 full blown now, and people are are scooping them all up. I think when you look at positions, you got to be careful with running backs because their window of playing is a lot shorter. You know, you look at some of these running backs, Le'Veon Bell, right, went from the best running back in the league to he's an he's an afterthought uh, as a Jet. And so you got to be careful. Running backs kind of like they're like a shooting star, right? They get red hot. They're flying across the sky, and then they're out. Um, so I think receivers, quarterbacks and receivers are probably where you got to go. And uh, guys I like, you know, uh, Cortland Sutton, uh, he's hurt for the year. But, I mean, you know, you got to think past this year. You know, you got to think long term. Um, even C.D. Lamb, I know he's he's popular. He plays in Dallas. But his stuff, some of his stuff is definitely at levels. If you believe that, he's going to live up to the expectations. Kenny Galladay in, in Detroit's another receiver that, uh, you know, doesn't bring top dollar yet when you look at where he ranks in, in the receivers uh, list is right there. Michael Thomas, arguably the best receiver in the, in, in the NFL, his cards, when you look at his values, yeah, the curse of the Jets. when you look at, uh, you know, his values, this I'm picking up stuff of his like fairly cheap. Like I'm surprised uh, myself. Another guy who's going to be a hall of famer should be first ballot. DeAndre Hopkins. And who's now in Arizona. I mean, the guy just hundred something catches every year, thousand yards, touchdowns. He's sort of like the anti Julio Jones. He actually catches touchdowns, and so receivers is probably where you got to go. Backs, you got to be careful because you know for four or five years, and then they kind of just uh, fizzle out. You got your exceptions, obviously, to the rule. Your Emmett Smiths and 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 guys along those lines that. That lasts longer. Uh, Nick Chubb is a guy. If we want, I don't want to totally exclude running backs. Nick Chubb is a guy that uh, every year he's probably in the top three in running backs, and his stuff is very affordable. And it's hard not to uh, look at his stuff. Uh, and, and and but receivers, you know, the problem with quarterbacks, Jeremy, is they're so hyped even before they ever throw a pass in the NFL. You know that. You're not going to get them at a level where you you know you can say, man, I got these. For now, there's exception to the rules. You know, Russell Wilson stuff's exploding now. A year or two ago, or even three years ago, I mean, you can get at them a, a whole lot cheaper. And so, um, but uh, I, I think it's because of those phenomenons now that people are just you know, Trevor Lawrence, who's going to be in in next year's draft, uh, his stuff's going to he's going to be just already through the roof before he even uh, gets to the league and, and, and plays. And so I, I tend to look at the receivers because sometimes it takes them a, a year or two. Calvin Ridley was a guy, my, me personally, I bought a ton of Calvin Ridley and we're seeing this year that really, that, that hunch, if you call it, or that gut feeling really pay uh, dividends. He looks like, uh, the better, the you know, I mean, Julio Jones has obviously played longer, but I think he he might be a better player. He's he is this year, but I think even long term, he he might have a better career than 
than Julio Jones. And many will tell you Julio Jones is probably going to be a Hall of Famer. And so uh, receivers are a great opportunity uh, in the football market to get stuff at a very low level. And I think what you're going to see, I think with, you know, Jerry Rice's rookie, we talked about this the other day too, for a long time was 20, 30 bucks. They're arguably not just the greatest receiver in the game, but arguably the greatest football player to play the game. And his think about his rookie being 20, 30 bucks. That has changed now. It's went up. And I think you're seeing like guys who, you know, Jerry Rice's numbers will probably never be uh, surpassed, but you're seeing guys like Hopkins, uh, Michael Thomas, that may, when everything's said and done, be in the discussion. Um, you're going to see them, uh, you know, because of Rice's stuff going up, they're going to follow sort of that trajectory. And so, but there's still right now is the time, quite frankly. Another tip, uh, you know, uh, is, is you know, I hate to say it, you don't want pe- players or athletes to get hurt, but it's part of football. It's part of any sport, but especially football. Um, it's a great opportunity to buy uh, cards. You know, Cortland Sutton's out for the year, but Cortland Sutton's going to come back and, and play. You know, Michael Thomas is out for a few weeks. His cards have sort of dipped, but he's going to come back and play. It's a great opportunity. Not that you want someone to get hurt, but, you, you know, you're a product of your environment. You kind of, it's a great opportunity uh, when people sort of forgot about him, at least temporarily, to kind of go in there and scoop him up. Cool, man. No, it's great. And, you know, I don't follow football closely, so a lot of the names you just said are right over my head. But names yeah. I do recognize are, you know, Jerry Rice, of course. And when I think of Jerry Rice, I want you know, he's the le- the last great receiver that I can think of that has a that really, you know, his cards are are, are highly respected. I, I wonder about guys like um, Randy Moss and uh, and uh, Terrell Owens and these guys who are also top end receivers in their day. Um, Seems like sometimes off the field uh, exploits might have an impact on on hobby love. Um, after Jerry Rice, like, is there opportunity in these guys in in a Randy Moss and a Terrell Owens guys who are you know Hall of Fame caliber players that had great careers as far as receivers go? You know, it's funny. It's a great point too. Uh, great question. I think you, Moss and Owens are sort of always kind of compared to each other because they played at the same time. Rice played, but. He was on the back end of his career and kind of on his way out of football. And, um, you know, the difference, Moss sort of had off-the-field problems in college and then got to the NFL and kind of cleaned up his act. You know, Owens didn't really have issues in college. He came to the NFL and and became a diva and threw his own quarterbacks under the bus and, uh, you know, uh, doing goofy stuff in his driveway and, uh, you know, working out. He's just – what he did off the field kind of like over overwent what he did on it. No one can argue with his numbers. Uh, it's yeah. why he didn't get it. Quite frankly, he should have been the first battle Hall of Famer, and he wasn't, and it was because of the off the field stuff. Dan Fouts, right. who's a voter and a Hall of Famer uh, himself, said he didn't, he didn't vote for – he took criticism for this, but he admitted – he didn't vote for Terrell Owens because of the off the field uh, right. stuff, and so I think that's hurt him. I think Ma, if you're comparing the two, I think probably Moss has the biggest upside card wise uh, because he doesn't sort of have that black cloud over him as much as as Owens does. I mean, the worst thing you can really say 
about Randy Moss is he just he wanted the ball all the time. But what receiver? But he wasn't shy about saying it. And, and Sam, reminds uh, me of, reminds me of Michael Jordan, right? Wants the ball yeah. all the time, right? Yep. And great players want the ball. So I, I don't really fault them for that unless it's to the detriment of the team. Um, as far as running backs go, you know, I think of Walter Payton, Barry Sanders, Emmett Smith. I mean, these guys yeah. kind of defied the odds. They had long careers or, you know, longer careers um, than, than most running backs do. If you were to have to say, if you were to have to, and this is me asking you for sort of, let's say, advice, who's the next great running back in that lineup? And for a while, you thought it was Ladanian Tomlinson. Then you thought it was, oh, shoot, who's the guy that started out in Minnesota there? Very Adrian Peterson. Adrian Peterson. You know, who's the, who's the guy right now that has the best chance of following the Walter Payton, Barry Sanders, Emmett Smith, being in that, in that conversation? In your opinion, you know, I, lo- I love Saquon Barkley. Okay, so that's it. That, that's it. That's all I want to know is who Saquon okay. Barkley. That's the guy who you think is the best chance of, of getting into that conversation. I do, but he's got to stay healthy. He's been injured twice now. Uh, the team he plays for, uh, their their O line is killing him. So I don't know if it's going to be. I think he almost has to get out of off the Giants for that to happen, but. Uh, the talent's there. He can catch the ball. He can run the ball. But he, now he's been hurt twice. And so the bloom is a little bit off that rose, Jeremy. But he's still young. I mean, you're talking about, he's, you know, second or third year player. So, uh, you know, the, the thing that really makes their career short is all the wear and tear on the tires. With him being hurt a couple of times, he he's, doesn't have as much of that wear and tear. So, and still young. So I'm, I'm, I'll stick with that. But I'm a little less confident today All right. than I was but, last year. I'm just glad I got a name out of you, man. I'm going to watch that now. I'm, <laughs> no, I'm, not, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to go buy cards. I'm just, yeah. you know, I'm going to keep it in mind. It, it's, it'll be a fun thing to look, to look forward to. Okay. We're going to get some comments and we're going to get to the, the five, the sports cards live five uh, card of the day. And then we're going to wrap it up. Uh, so okay. going back, Charles wants to say the grading from an investment standpoint with the right companies, of course, is great. However, from a, however, from a collector standpoint, I think raw cards are 10 times cooler. And again, we're all entitled to how we approach and what we like. And Charles is uh, is making his way in the hobby. And uh, I totally respect that position, 100%. Peter wants to know, what is that magnifying headset that John has? I don't know what it is, John, but can you shout out uh, what that is that you got there? Yeah, I'll put, I'll, I'll, I took my, my regular glasses off. And I'll put these things on. So they're glasses. I have like six sets of lenses. They come down. And they're different magnifications, like you said. And it has a light. I'm not going to put it on and like shine it right at people. What's the um, What's it called? Is there Is there a name or something we can? I Google don't know. I got it. I got it from Amazon. To be honest with you, very very affordable. I think it was like which you know I have Prime shipping. I think it was 14 bucks. And I tell you what, this thing. Sometimes I don't like these glasses because I see things I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. Fair. Okay, let's keep rolling because we are running out of time here. Troy says, great set of talkers today. Sorry I'm late to the show. Troy, welcome to the show. Card Hobbyist says, the market volatility is wild these days. Yes, it is. Charles says, it's it's for grading and looking for scratches. Oh, thank you, Charles. Eric Stefano, welcome to the show. Better late than never, my man. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Raiders look good. Great. Yeah, I, I heard that yeah. myself, actually. And nice nice to see them win their first game at home in the new stadium. That's pretty cool. Yamwax says, the NTRPAs of wide receivers are lagging. Silver prisms. 
Sometimes, don't be afraid to look for NTs of your favorites. The new investors are falling for the shiny stuff first. Troy says, it's so risky for current young NFL, you can't send them in for grading as a million changes injuries happen before the cards get back. That's the story with grading for everything right now. You just never know what's going to happen. Yam says, Michael Thompson, Julio Jones, both have shots at Jerry Rice's records if health allows. Well, that's a big deal. Troy makes fun of me, says he saw my my eyes glossing over during that NFL talk. Well, I didn't know who all the names were, but I was I was listening <laughs> intently. Uh, Eric says, yeah, I saw Moss play against Montana when he was with Marshall. Great player. Thanks for clarifying, Adrian Peterson. That's who I was thinking of. Walter Payton started 170 consecutive games. Incredible durability, 100%. Almost impossible durability these days. And that must be my brother from another mother, the mayor of Canada, Rich Barone from Long Island, New York. Rich, welcome as always, my man. Okay, John, we got to move along. We're going to get to the Sports Cards Live 5. It's a new thing I've been doing for the past three or four shows. I got five standard questions that I'm asking. Richie's a big Jets fan, if you can't tell. Jets, Jets, Jets. And I hear they're no good this year. So sorry for that, Richie, but hopefully they get better for you. Okay, John, the first question, the Sports Cards... If you're ready for it, question one of the Sports Cards Live 5 is, do you have a favorite card in your personal collection that you can show? I do, and I have it right here. I got, I got, I'm kind of surrounded by cards. I'll, I'll preface this card, Jeremy, by saying it's not my most expensive card. It's not a cheap card either, but if we're, if we're ranking them in value, this would not be number one, but uh, it's near and dear to my heart. There's a whole huge story. Uh, with it, we'll, we'll say that for another day, maybe. Uh, but it's uh, a Jackie Robinson. It's uh, out of flawless. Let me get it uh, closer. Cover up my ugly mug too, which is uh, double win for people. It's a uh, one of one Jackie Robinson, and it might be a little hard to see with, with glare, but it's a patch. And and the blue, it's got blue and the flannel like uh, tan yellow, and I believe the blue is actually from the Dodgers script on the jersey. When you see a lot of these Jackie Robinson jersey cards, which you don't see a lot, but when you see them, they traditionally have that old gray flannel plain single color uh swatch. And so when I when I saw this um and saw the the you know the the patch on it, I said I, I don't know if we're going to you know when I'll see another one like that again. And Jackie uh being from Brooklyn uh, is my idol every book report or essay or speech I had to do when I was in school was Jackie Robinson to the point teacher said, that's enough, John, you're going to have to pick another person, please. Um, you know, so uh, when I saw this and the patch, um, it sits on my desk. I got sort of a Jackie Robinson corner over here with a, with a sports impressions uh, figurine, another patch card and uh, uh, something I think, of, you know, uh, look at every day. And then when you think about, you know, even what he meant um, society-wise, even when his career was done, um, he probably made more of an impact, quite frankly, off the field uh, than on it. And, uh, you know, we, we could all take a, you know, what's going on in the world, probably could take a page from his book more more now than, than ever before. And and you know what? I mean, I completely agree with that, but I think we could, I, I'm going to, my card of the day or card of the show is always tied into my guest. And um, so I'm going to show a card, but I'm going to show two cards. And the second card I'm going to show 
is also somebody who uh, everybody could take a page out of their book as well. You know what I'm talking about. We'll, we'll skip yeah. the suspense. What is the question number two, John? What is the basically what's the card you what, what's your your biggest want? But by your biggest want in terms of the hobby, your actual biggest attain, not a Honus Wagner type of thing. What's your number one priority attainable want card right now? Oh, man. You know, I really would love uh, to get an. It's not cheap, which is probably why it's on my list to get, but uh, uh, an Emma Smith, the score supplemental rookie uh, in a 10 would be nice. If, if any, anyone that knows that card, um, it's got the dark borders, and so it's hard to find, uh, very easy to chip. There are 10s out there, obviously. They exist. They're not super, super rare, but, um, you know, I, I better hurry because each year that seems to be – going a little bit up so uh, i talked about it and i i gotta stop talking about it uh because then that's all i'll be able to do is talk about it so. yeah exactly what's your okay question number three your favorite place to buy cards it's got to be you know i'm i'm here in syracuse and you know when when i had my store back here in in the 90s um uh there was there was a good 13 of us me and 12 other stores and now there's one and um, I know the gentleman. Um, I'm not. We're not particularly uh, friendly with each other. And so, most of my purchases. I, I know it's the boring answer, but most of my purchases will either come online or uh, or shows that I can get to. That's fair, man. And the fourth question: If you could change one thing about the hobby, what would it be? That's that's an easy one to to me. I just spoke to this on the show, so it's right in my wheelhouse. I, I think. All of us uh, need to be uh, more welcoming of, of new folks coming in. I, I know the negative connotation, and we want to say flippers and investors and sneakerheads, but you know we all want right. I don't care whether you think the you're, you're not investing or you're you don't like that word being used when it comes to cards. But let's be real, right? We all the cards we have, or when we open packs or boxes or cases of stuff, right? We want to get the best card we can right? We, that's what we're looking to get. We want to get the most valuable card. Well, with people coming in and transactions happening that has made these values either maintain or what we saw here in 2020 rise. So you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't be very unwelcoming and then watch your cards uh, to be worth something. They, they, they kind of go hand in hand. And so to, to answer your question, to, you know, to, to kind of rat, come full circle here, I think we need, you know, you don't have, you might not have to like everybody, or, or, but we need to welcome uh, and embrace a little bit and and try to help folks legitimately uh, when asked, give uh, the best advice we can, and and what someone does with it is their business. But I, I think we need, you know, when I came in as a seven year old, I'm sure same with you, uh, people welcome me when I started. Uh, got my tax number at 15 years old. I was the youngest dealer on the floor, uh, and and the older guys were, you know, very nice to me and helped me out. Uh, I think we've lost some of that uh, from those days, and I, I'd like to see that come back. Okay, good, good answer, good answer. Uh, before we get onto the last question, uh, so Eric completely agrees with you. Eric also wants to say sorry for being late. That's okay, Eric. You can't you can't set your life around sports cards live, but I'd love it if you would, but I understand that you can't do that. He also says to John, great job on the last pod with your pops. We'll let everybody know. 
check out John's podcast. It is called Sports Card Nation. You can find it on all the podcast platforms. He dropped an episode yesterday. It was episode number 82. Uh, 95, 95. Sorry, 95, episode 95. Uh, and he interviewed his father. I listened to it. It was it was really interesting, really entertaining. So give that a listen to for sure. Uh, Eric says, sweet Jackie card. Charles says, vintage patches are awesome. Saw a Dave the Hammer Schultz patch with blood on it the other day. That's very cool. We now know that Dallas won. There will be another hockey game. Dallas won in overtime. Dallas wins. Awesome. Thank you for letting me know. I definitely wouldn't have won my daily fantasy den today. Question number five, John. What is your biggest hobby purchase or sale regret that comes to mind all right so i'm gonna go back to my store days you got again. you got to go quick john you got to go quick on this okay. one okay um so back in 92 when i started my store to 96 uh, i'm here in new york state Derek jeter a lot of yankee fans here Derek jeter super popular um s that 93 sp jeter is a huge card well i had uh, from from a two-year span I had about 150 of them, not all at once, but I would acquire them, get them, open SP and have them. I sold all 150 of them uh, from ranging from a price from 20 bucks to probably 50 bucks. We know what they go for uh, now, and I don't have a single one uh, in my inventory anymore. So from a selfish uh, point of view, that's probably a, a huge regret that I, I just thought he was overrated. I thought he was a Yankee. I didn't think he was that great. And uh, here we are, first ballot Hall of Famer. So much for – see, I don't know everything. Yeah, first ballot Hall of Famer with all but one vote, I believe. So yeah. pretty cool. Uh, Richie says, let's go Yankees. Troy says, hot potato, John, hot potato, LOL, which, you know, it's true, right? You're not, if, you're, if, you're, if you treat every card that way, you're going to be ahead at the end of the day, I would think. Yeah. Uh, 3B's Collection says, I've noticed a difference from when I was in – from when I was in – Back in the early to mid-90s. Yeah, it's it, a lot has changed for sure. Okay, before we do my card of the day, guys, I because uh, we are going to wrap up. So I want to thank everybody for joining tonight. Thank you, John, for joining. You've been an amazing guest. Been a lot of fun. Tons of great tons of great insight, John. Thanks to all the viewers. We've had great interaction tonight, as always. Well, I got to say, you guys are always awesome. So thank you so much for that. If you're new, please do subscribe to the channel. Even if you're never going to come back and watch it again, I guess. No, I want you to, I want good subscribers, but subscribe anyway. Come back and watch another episode. This is episode 49. There's 48 other episodes in the archives, along with about four or five after hours shows, which is a second show that I do after this one. We will be going live in 28 minutes with after hours. My guest will be Colin Murray. So check that out. It's a much more relaxed show. Uh, just I sit back and I chill versus producing a, an on-the-fly kind of interview show like this. So hang out with us if you want a little bit later. It'll be fun. Um, and yeah, again, please subscribe if you haven't yet. I do appreciate it. Hit the thumbs up, leave a comment, all that stuff you want to do. Appreciate these comments, SCA. Great show. Keep it up. Thank you. I, I, I will. Thank you so much. And it's comments like that that make me want to keep this going. I'm sure John can attest to that, right? You get people that okay. like what you're putting out and you want to keep doing it. Thank you, yeah. 3B. I appreciate that comment right there that you enjoyed it. Thumbs up back, right back at you, right back at you and everybody else out there. Eric says, thanks for the show. See you in after hours. Yeah, we'll be in after hours in 27 minutes. And Richie says, you don't know how to chill. <laughs> you don't know how to chill. Well, Richie knows me from the card shows too, right? Carlos says, great show, guys. Thanks for the insight, John. Thank you, Carlos. 
Check out Carlos's YouTube channel at Because I'm Carlos. Yam says, fun conversations, guys. Thank you, Yam. Okay, card of the day, guys. This is a, this is one of the better cards in my collection. It seems like it's the second week in a row that I've said that. But when I talked to John last night and I listened to his podcast with his with his pops yesterday, I realized that, you know what? I mean, his favorite player is Jackie Robinson. I have a Jackie Robinson card that I'm very proud of. I've owned it for seven or eight years now. And uh, so I'm going to show it. And it's it's a great card. It's done wonderful things in the last few months here. But this is my 1948 Leaf Jackie Robinson rookie. It's in a PSA 6 holder, which is X, X to mint. And uh, it's a card that, I mean, I'll be honest, I picked it up for a fraction of what it's worth today, you know, less than 10% of what it sells for now, probably 5% of what it sells for now. So it's a card I've had for a long time. It's it's in my collection. John asked me earlier because I gave him a I'm sneak peek. I'm trying to get it. Well, <laughs> yeah, here. Here you go. Here, John. <laughs> so, so John John said to me earlier, he said, now that you've seen what this card has done, are you tempted to sell it? And my instant answer is no. Like, there's no way I'm selling this card. This is this is a lifetime holding for me. It's something that I yeah. love. So yeah. I, I teased earlier that, you know, we should all take a page out of this guy's book. Well, there's another baseball player. So I pulled out two cards because on the show that John did with his pops, they mentioned this guy too. The player's name is Pee Wee Reese. And the Pee the reason why I want to pair these cards up is because if you saw the movie 42, which chronicles Jackie Robinson's life, you there's a scene in the movie where they're in the outfield, they're in an they're in an uh, uh they're in at an away game, they're in the outfield, and Jackie Robinson is being uh heckled by the by the people in the stands for you know racial slurs at this guy right here. And this guy right here notices this going on. And what does he do? He walks over to Jackie Robinson in the middle of the field, puts his arm around his shoulders and stands there and looks up at the crowd, basically saying, Hey, this guy's on our team. He's a, he's a normal, he's a guy just like us. We're going to respect that. And he sent a message to the crowd. And that was, that was my biggest takeaway in that whole film was, was Pee Wee Reese's uh, behavior and response to the crowd heckling this guy here, Jackie Robinson. So while well, he's obviously a hero, and it says right on the back of the card, first Negro player in modern organized baseball, debuted in 1947. That's that's pretty cool. I mean, even the language is so of the times. But this guy right here was a hero in my eyes too, because he basically said, hey, you know, I don't want to use the F word, but he basically flipped off the whole, everybody in the stands and said, hey, quit it. This guy is one of us now. So you know, I'm going to put my arm around him and show you. I, I love that that scene in that movie so much. And these cards, these two cards to me are paired up and probably never, ever sell them. So wanted to share those. John, as we as we uh, kind of fade out here, we'll just see the rest of the comments. And then I'll come to you for some parting words. And then we're going to we're going to end the broadcast. Okay. So, so we've got great show from Paul. Thank you so much, Charles. We'll see you after hours. Dave, Amish Dave Archer. Check out his YouTube channel as well, everybody, by the name Amish Dave Archer. I'll catch you on after hours. We'll have to catch this tomorrow on replay. Sounds good, Dave. We'll see you soon. Eric says, sweet. Thank you. Jackie Cuts. Building says, man, if you only hung on to those. He's talking to, must be talking about your Jeters there. Uh, yeah. We all have those stories too, right? Yeah. It was second base, not the outfield. Pee-wee put his arm around Jackie. Yes, he did. Actually happened in St. Louis. Well, there's some great uh, context to those two cards. That must be the mayor, Rich Barone, letting us in on that information. Thank you, Rich. All right, everybody, once again, thank you so much for joining tonight. This has been a blast. John, 
Thank you so much for joining me. I know you you do a lot of your own content. You do like four shows between your YouTube and your podcast. I'm going to put those up right now, everybody. You want to follow John on Instagram at Sports Card Nation Podcast on Twitter at Sports Card N-I-N-A-T-I-1. You can catch his YouTube shows. Check out Hobby Hotline on YouTube. That'll get you to his to that show, among others. Finally, Building says, these are always great. Thank you, Building. Bobby Burrell says, wonderful show, guys. I enjoyed listening to John. Well, that's what I want to hear. I, I love when you guys enjoy the guests that I'm bringing to you. So thanks, everybody. We will be on After Hours going live there in 22 minutes. John, last word is yours, my man. Well, I want to, first off, thank you for the wonderful comments. Thank you, Jeremy, for, for having me on. It, it, you mentioned being a blast. Uh, uh, I couldn't have said it better myself. This was a, a, a blast. The two hours went by like, holy smokes, and just like a blur. And, and I could go uh, another two. But, uh, you know, we're doing four shows, how I'm still married 21 years. I'm going to write a book there. I don't know how many copies I'll sell. But <laughs> this show is great. Uh, the people that, that uh, listen and watch. Uh, and and interact uh, that's what we do it for you know that i know that it uh, makes what we do uh worthwhile and and it's fun and uh this was a fun two hours and uh i'd love to someday uh do it again for sure man well hey i plan to do this for a while so we'll get you back on thank you again for making the time everybody else thank you so much we're gonna hit go live in the after hours studio in about 20 minutes we'll see you then joining me is Colin Murray, who's a, a, a longtime hobbyist, vintage guy. We're going to chill out and just talk some more hobby. So thanks, everybody. Good night. And if you're joining on After Hours, we will see you shortly. And it spins and it spins and it spins. So we may still be. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.